Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on? Oh my easy. <laughs> you just trying to throw me off, man. I am, man. I, I tried to throw something a little fresh in there, a little unexpected, something a little new, a little unique, man, in honor of that Klondike turtleneck sweater you're wearing. As we record this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, I just figured I'd throw a little yodeling, a yodel was in that, there. Was that like your a, yodel? A little, little yodeling. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. What's the problem? We're not, we're not, we're not video yet, so they didn't even know I had a, I had a turtleneck sweater on, man. So you didn't have to put well, that out there. We got our executive producer on with us in background, man. Maybe he could throw a couple of screenshots out there on social. <laughs> <laughs> get some context. That is wrong, man. That's wrong. I see. What's going on, is. V? What's going on, man? Oh man, man. I'm just. It's been a minute, man, since we have been back behind these microphones, man. Uh, you've been traveling. I've been traveling. We've been traveling together, uh, man. We've been crisscrossing the country, and it has yeah. taken a while for us to. Slow down long enough to get back behind the microphones, man. How are you feeling? I know you've been you've been everywhere. What's going on with you? A little update, man. Give us man, a little update. Man, we, we've been everywhere, man. You know, you and I together, we've been everywhere. We've been everywhere together, everywhere separately. It's kind of like you cheated up a second ago, man. You know, we're getting invitations by God's grace to speak at various conferences and churches. I mean, literally across the country. I think uh, as we sit here and record this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast on Sunday, March 13th, 2022 i think this is probably the first sunday that we've had available to record a new episode in almost the past three months because yes. we've been traveling yes. so much um you know again thank the lord for those opportunities thanks to the lord for opening those doors but even mm-hmm. as we sit here recording this episode right now you're fresh uh back at home from the shepherds conference at grace community mm-hmm. church and mm-hmm. i'm fresh back at home from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention that was in Nashville. So we're only hours, man, really, from stepping off an airplane, landing back in our respective homes. Now here we are back behind the microphone. So it's been like that, bro. Absolutely. It's been nonstop. Uh, Absolutely been crazy. It's been a blessing to get a chance to meet so many. I don't call them fans. I call them family. So many of, of the JT family, man. Uh, around the country, folks who've come up to us and told us how much they've been blessed by 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 what they what you and I started out as a podcast, but has but has out of necessity become a ministry, man. To 
to to a lot a lot of people uh, who you know who, who follow us, who are connected with us, and the like. Everything from pastors to lay people uh, to someone's grandmother, you know, yeah. who, who will listen uh, to what's happening with 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 just thinking, and uh, they've been impacted by it. Man, how how was it where you were just briefly, man, at, at NRB uh, with with I know you were doing a number of interviews. I think you were on the stage quite a bit with with different folks doing radio interviews, and then you got you got asked to do a a, a kind of a panel discussion as well. How how'd that turn out? Yeah, so the uh, NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, is an annual convention, and what folks need to understand is that NRB is an association of Christian communicators. So you've got folks from all types of Christian media platforms, podcast, radio. Uh, television, uh, film, uh, you name it. They're all gathered in Nashville um, to to get together, sort of network, um, you know, and, and, and do deals and things like that. Well, mm-hmm. Grace to You, uh, who most of our listeners, I believe, are aware that uh, I'm on staff at Grace to You, which is the, the, the media ministry of Dr. John MacArthur. Uh, Grace to You always has a presence at the NRB convention, and we spend a, a week uh, meeting with a lot of our radio partners, our media partners, that partner with us in getting uh, grace to you out on the airwaves, on television, things of that nature. Well, this week, however, this year at NRB's convention, I had an opportunity to do a couple things outside of our normal grace to you commitments and that I was able to do a couple of uh, two or three radio interviews with some radio stations that were there at the convention. And then um, uh, right before the convention convention concluded, I had the opportunity to participate in a panel conversation the theme of which was engaging a hostile culture. So I, I was able to participate wow. in that panel with, along with uh, Ali Beth Stuckey, Eric mm-hmm. Metaxas, and then our guy, John Cooper, the uh, mm-hmm. founder and lead singer for the Christian rock group Skillet. Uh, got to meet mm-hmm. John uh, in person for the first time, him and his uh, incredible yeah. wife, Corey. Uh, man, shout out to John and Corey to Skillet. Uh, John Cooper, man, I got to tell you, he's just a, one of the most humble individual him and Corey both just incredibly humble wow. man we, we, we wow f- folks listeners to the just thinking podcast know how much we love uh john cooper yeah. Corey, and skillet yep. and what they're yep. doing yep. Uh, so it was an honor to meet him honor to meet john honor to meet Corey. took a couple uh photos together and uh just god bless skillet god bless uh john and his wife Corey. they were celebrating 25 years of marriage man so wow congratulations wow. to john That's and awesome. Corey on that so it's, it's mm-hmm. just been incredibly hectic, but it's been an enjoyable kind of busy. But uh, all that to say, um, I'm just thankful, man, to be back behind the microphone with you uh, to be able to produce another episode of the Just Thinking Podcast for uh, for our listeners and uh, to, the, yeah. to the glory of God and his church, man. That's really what this is all Absolutely. about. Absolutely, man. That's great. I, I, I did see the pick uh, with you and and and. Our boy Cooper, man, I I, uh, I look forward to uh, meeting him in person. We've had a, a, a you know long distance kind of friendship, connecting on socials and 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 recording in different spaces and places. Uh, but man, I look forward to getting a chance to meet John and and hopefully his wife as well at some point uh, in person, man. But uh, but that that's great. I want to mention a couple of things by way of just quick announcements, and then we'll jump into what we've got. And that is that I want to encourage people to, if they haven't already, had the opportunity to pick up our both books. Now we've got not one, but two books, man. Yep. You're, you're an author on two on two accounts, man. Co- uh, co-author with you, bro. 
co-authored, co-authored with me, Just Thinking About the State, Just Thinking About the State. If you haven't had an opportunity to read that, I'm going to encourage you to go out and get it in light of all the things that are going on uh, in culture and politics um, and every way, uh, shape or form that the state is invading and encroaching upon our personal liberties. This book is a must read for uh, for our listeners. Uh, Grab one, grab two, grab grab more books and hand those out. One of the things that I love about about this book in particular uh, is that uh, we, we, we we as as we began to put it together. Uh, it really uh, is not a, is not is not time stamped. Uh, it's one of those books that you'll need to pick up off the shelf near about every election cycle to remind yourself about what it, what a biblical worldview mm-hmm. looks like as it yep. pertains to issues of the state. And so that's important. You can get that at justthinking.me forward slash the state, justthinking.me forward slash the state. And then our second book, our most recent book, which is Why Are You Afraid? Why Are You Afraid? Uh, probably probably one of my one of my favorite episodes uh, that we did about mm-hmm. sinful fear uh, and anxiety. And this is this is a, a bite sized book that I'm encouraging uh, leaders at churches, uh, discipleship pastors, uh, elders at churches, uh, lay people to buy a number of them. And here's why. These are are booklets that are that are able to be kind of consumed in a Bible study format. So and it's priced in, in such a way that as you get this, you can get five, eight, ten of them and pass them out as as you're seeing people who are dealing with the with just sinful fear and anxiety, everything from COVID to mandates to mm-hmm. people losing their jobs uh, to all the issues that surround culture right now. You can get that at g3men.org forward slash y are you afraid? Again, g3min.org forward slash why are you afraid? And the last thing, man, and I would love to get your thoughts about what we're about to do on September 15th through the 17th of this year, September 15th through the 17th, we will, we have been in partner, we are in partnership with G3 Ministries, G3, JT. Uh, we are about to, to embark upon uh, a, a massive conference. This is a next level move uh, for Just Thinking uh, as we in, embark upon having a regional conference in Washington, D.C., uh, at the at the Museum of the Bible, September 15th through the 17th, uh, just thinking about the Bible. And uh, we're going to talk about about biblical sufficiency, scriptural sufficiency, uh, which, again, a lot of the topics and subjects that we encounter on the Just Thinking podcast have to deal with the fact that Christians aren't taking their Bible seriously. Yep. They don't believe that it, that the Bible is sufficient to engage all the issues. And we 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 do our best every single episode to demonstrate how the Bible is sufficient. And so we thought it would be great to team up with G3 to have a regional conference in an area of the country uh, where gospel light is, is is not as bright as it is in some other areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to invite you to join us uh, at, at the at the Museum of the Bible for the Just Thinking About the Bible conference. Uh, G, you can go to g3men.org and grab tickets while they last. That's going to be a smaller venue. It's going to be more intimate. Uh, we've got a number of great speakers that are going to be with us. Stephen Loss is going to be with us. James White's going to be with us. Josh Bice is going to be with us. Uh, you, me, and we may be adding others. So we definitely want you to to uh, to get in while you can. I do believe this will be a, a sold out venue, uh, given the, the given the number of, of tickets that we have. So I would encourage you to go to g3men.org and grab a ticket and register. Anything you want to add about that at all? Any any one of the things I mentioned? Yeah, there just happened to be a group of uh, the at the NRB conference that were. Rep- 
representatives from the Muse- Museum of the Bible who were there at the NRB convention mm. in Nashville last week. So, well, last week, meaning um, this past uh, week. The week, days week ago, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm losing track of time. Man. And, 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 and plus, as we record this episode, we've just moved our, t- our clocks forward an hour uh, to, right. uh, to adjust for the time. So you've got travel, you've got time zones. Yeah, I'm, I'm all confused right now, bro. So hopefully I'll get yeah. through this. But but I was able to meet those folks who are representing Museum of the Bible at the NRV convention. So it was re- great to meet those folks. So looking forward to that uh, that conference in September. Uh, the mm-hmm. books, Just Thinking About the State, and then our newest book, which dropped on Valentine's Day, Why Are You Afraid? Yeah, w- I want to uh, come alongside you, V, of course, and encourage folks to get both of those books. Uh, matter of fact, now that we mentioned those two titles, I want to also mention that we are currently in partnership with Founders Ministries with Dr. Tom Askall and Founders Ministries on the initial phases of our second book, second of our trilogy of books that we're going to be doing with Founders. The second book is going to be t- uh, titled Just Thinking About Ethnicity. So as we have more information about that title, we will update you all on this platform and on our social media uh, platforms as well. So be on the lookout for that. So that's gonna that's gonna be a that's gonna be a blockbuster, bro. Yeah, I'm just gonna tell you right now that's gonna be a blockbuster. <laughs> when that is. Yeah, V. So that's it, man. Thanks for teeing that up for us, bro. So uh, you know, so here we are, man. Episode 117 of the Just Let's Thinking Podcast, it. and you know, Omaha, as we begin our discussion here on that episode 117, I'm actually a bit frustrated. I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a little bit perturbed because here we are yet again. Here we are yet again addressing yet another sociocultural fad that the evangelical church appears bound and determined to latch itself onto. In this case, the fad that I'm referring to is this whole idea of deconstruction or deconstructionism. Now, as I think about that, Omaha, I'm starting to get that same vibe. I have to admit this, got to confess this. I'm starting to get that same vibe, getting the same vibe that I got when you and I released the two episodes we did on Black Lives Matter back in the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, you know very well, Omaha, how, how chaotic it was when Black Lives Matter first bolted onto the sociocultural scene in 2013, right after the acquittal of George Zimmerman, a man who at that time was on trial for the killing of Trayvon Martin. The same chaos reigned some years later in 2020 when George Floyd was killed by former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was subsequently convicted in 2021 of first-degree murder and sentenced to nearly 23 years in prison. Now, across that eight-year continuum, okay, going from 2013 to 2021, across that eight-year continuum, there were many within evangelicalism who publicly came out in support of Black Lives Matter, arguing that it was possible to support the idea that Black Lives Matter without actually supporting the Black Lives Matter organization. There were, there were countless evangelicals right. who argued that. They lined up like Pied Pipers, marching in yeah, lockstep with the mantra, Black Lives Matter, but in complete and often willful ignorance of what the organization Black Lives Matter actually meant by saying Black Lives Matter. Right. But as we've often said on the Just Thinking Podcast, Omaha, words have meaning. Words have meaning. And as it turned out, many of those evangelicals who initially supported BLM, the organization, found out that the word matter in Black Lives Matter didn't mean the same thing to them that it meant to BLM. Right, right. 
Now, today, most of those same evangelicals are not surprisingly to you and me, Omaha. Very, very quiet, as the cartoon character <laughs> Elmer Fudd might say. You know, Elmer <laughs> Fudd walking around going like, yeah, tiptoeing with his double barrel shotgun in his hand. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbit. Yeah, we got some very. <laughs> We got some. That's been a minute since that's been a minute since I've I've watched that cartoon, bro. bro if you have if you have cable, turn on the Boomerang channel, bro. They play all the old school go. cartoons. But we got a lot yeah. of evangelicals now today walking around like Elmer Fudd because they're very very quiet. They're not saying anything because in hindsight, perhaps they've realized that the organization Black Lives Matter is in reality not who those evangelicals thought they were. Now. Our listeners will recall, Omaha, that we attempted to warn the church about BLM when, as I said a moment ago, we dropped two consecutive episodes in the summer of 2020, episode numbers 102 and 103, which together comprised more than six hours of content about the Black Lives Matter organization. And no one else, no one anywhere on the planet was talking about Black Lives Matter to the extent and detail that you and I were on the Just Thinking podcast. No one. That's an absolute fact. In mm-hmm. fact, it, it, it wasn't very long after the release of those two episodes that BLM ended up scrubbing their entire website of much of the information that we'd cited from their website about their organization in those two episodes so as to make themselves appear less threatening than they actually were. They cleaned up a lot of that information that we cited from their website. So when you go there and check it now, it's not even there. Right. Okay. You can't even find it. All right. Information such as BLM's opposition to the Western patriarchal family, BLM's desire to defund the police. And then there was information on their website about BLM's supporting of abortion rights and the LGBTQ agenda. And yet, despite all of that, despite all the information we shared about BLM, the whole George Floyd situation here we are again. Here we are again, bro. Here we are, Omaha. We've got certain professing Christians today, many of whom have very influential platforms, especially on social media, who are co-opting, appropriating, and promoting the concept of deconstruction, but who are advocating that concept without any historical context, particularly as it relates to the genesis and origin of that idea. Now, our goal here today on this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is to provide some of that context, some of that context. And there is a sense in which we've already provided that context in episode 116 of the Just Thinking Podcast titled The Church and Culture. Now, it's not that in that episode we dealt with deconstruction directly, but in the sense that we dealt with the penchant that professing believers in Christ, as well as the churches to which they belong, tend to have to want, uh, they've got this penchant, right, that the church and Christians want to conjoin ourselves to the world with every shift of the sociocultural winds. That's what we dealt with in that episode on the church and culture. Mm -hmm. The penchant within the church to sort of stick their finger in the air and just latch on to whatever fad may be coming along lately. Whatever way the sociocultural winds blow, yeah, let's go ahead and attach ourselves to that. Mm -hmm. And see, deconstructionism is merely the latest shift in those sociocultural winds that many professing Christians appear intent on tethering themselves to. So having said all that, I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to you right now for some of your thoughts, man. You got any thoughts on this? Yeah, as you kind of open that up, it, it, I go back 
if we just simply go back to the previous um, episode that we did, 116, where we talked about the functional universalism right. yep. of the church, yep. right? And, and, and with that idea, unfortunately, I attached two things to it. One was, and we, we've, we've had this conversation numerous times, the sentimentalism yep. of, the, of, of, of church culture and the pragmatism of church culture. Right. And, and those two things, one, fu- functional universalism, it's, it's the idea that, you know what, we just need to all kind of get along because everybody's going to be saved at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, you know, we can't talk about hell. We can't talk about sin. We can't talk about all of these other issues that, that, that Scripture is absolutely clear on. Scripture doesn't whisper on these issues. Right. Scripture is clear on. We, 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 what we end up witnessing is the, the, the act, the, how, that, how that plays itself out is, is, is what we're seeing. It's the embrace of every wind of change mm-hmm. in the culture. Uh, and we're seeing that with with uh, we saw that with uh, Black Lives Matter, and now we're seeing it uh, with with regard to uh, deconstructionism. Let me get to my to, to my specifics uh, of, of my notes here. The silence of the evangelical church is deafening. Mm. On the on on these issues, the issues that you mentioned earlier, issues of the Black Lives Matter, uh, issues of social justice, no pastor has raced back to the pulpit in light of all that they now know about those organizations to say, you know what, I got it wrong. You know what, I need Man, to repent. Come on. And here's the biblical framework by which all of this stuff should operate in. This, this is the biblical anthropology by which we should all navigate things. That has not been done. And that's why I started out by saying the silence is deafening. Mm-hmm. Now, bef- before, before the Black Lives Matter and social justice issues, you had, and you, you'll remember this, just, just rewind back five years. What you had was gay Christianity and you had same-sex marriage, right? Yep. It's, it's, as if, it's as if these ideas ebb and flow with the winds of culture. Uh, you, now, now, currently, along with this deconstructionism, right alongside it, you have the gender fluidity and gender dysphoria issues. All of these have created a level of sympathy that we're now witnessing in Christian churches. It goes back to the idea that you presented in the last episode as functional universalists. It's not simply that everyone is saved. It's that every idea matters. It's that every, every, everyone who raises their, 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 their thoughts about, uh, about a particular idea or an issue that they want to raise and bring to the church, uh, it, it's absolutely embraced. As, as I've said on many occasions, again, this is due to the, to the church's sentimentalism and pragmatism. And in an effort to maintain uh, relevance, many Christians have actually abandoned the revelation of God in search of the next man-made idea that will have them on the cover of some God-hating magazine, right? That's, that, I mean, it, it's as if they want to they be in the limelight, and, and they're, only, they're only impressing those who actually hate God. And, and truth be told, they're not impressing those people either. Uh, most churches demonstrate a fear of man more than they demonstrate a fear of God. And time, a time, time and time again, we constantly, Daryl, are addressing these issues, with the latest being the issue of deconstruction. And we'll have, we'll have time during this episode to pull the pages back on that one as well. Yeah, man, just pointing back to our episode 116 on the church, of cult, uh, the, the church and culture. Now, we talked in that episode, Omaha, about people who you just described, you know, the pragmatists, the sentimentalists, the emotionalists, you know, those who are more feelings oriented, that those folks are from the Rob Bell Seminary of Functional Universalism. 
you know, so Rob Bell was <laughs> yes. the was the author of the book Love Wins, and we and we got a bunch mm-hmm. of we got a bunch of professing Christians right now who populate churches every Sunday and every Wednesday who believe love wins. That you shouldn't, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get on this uh, in a, in a minute or two here. I don't want to give it all away, but those are the people you're talking about, and I'm glad you referred back to them because they are functioning universalists. They're really evangelical moralists, is what they are, and so yeah, so, are. so so who are caught up in a, in a sentimental, a, a sentimentalist theology anthropology, uh, whereby you know uh, tone matters more than truth, and that not right. not only t- not only does tone matter more than truth. It is the tone that determines the truth. That's even right, worse. Right. So, right. so, so I'm, I'm really glad you hit on that, bro, because that factors into what we're going to be talking about here in episode 117. So if you've not yet listened to episode 116 on the church and culture, that will give you some additional context uh, as you as you listen to this episode as well. Um, and, you know, Omaha, given your commentary just a, a couple of moments ago, the question I have for you. And for our listeners is this, okay? This is a question I have for you and for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Why is it that so many professing believers think we have to Christianize everything? You, you, you touched on Good. it. Why, yeah. why do we think we have to Christianize everything? I mean, right. over the past few years, we've had things like Christian pole dancing and Christian yoga, we just got to Christianize everything as if all we need to do is append the word Christian to something. And that makes it legitimate in terms of being I, acceptable I to, to God I, and to his church. I have to stop you, man, and go back. Christian pole dancing? Bro, listen, if you were to see my notes I, like we do in everything we record and research, we, I got it footnoted, bro. I got it footnoted. I got it cited. That's, oh, I see it. I see it. Christian, <laughs> Christian pole dancing. Christian pole dancing, Christian yoga. We, we got to Christianize. And I, when I say Christianize, I have that in air quotes. If you can see right. me right now, I'm doing the air quotes thing with my hands. We got to Christianize everything. And again, we do that as if appending the word Christian to something makes it legitimate as being acceptable to God and to his church. Just add the word Christian mm-hmm. to it and that legitimizes. I mean, we're, we're, we're a lot like that child, Omaha, who gets an ice cream cone at an all-you-can-eat restaurant but who then proceeds to load up that ice cream cone with as many confectionery condiments as he can. Gummy, right. gummy bears, M&Ms, Skittles, candy corn, jelly beans, and on and on. But even with all those things loaded on top of his ice cream cone, he's not really ready to bite into it just yet. Nope, not yet. Not until he adds the sprinkles on top. Right. The sprinkles <laughs> are the coup de gras. The sprinkles right. say it's ready to eat. So only when those sprinkles have been added to everything else that's piled onto the ice cream cone, only then is that child ready to bite into it. You see, Omaha, that boy is us. That's the church. Yes. That boy's church. We always want to add sprinkles to the gospel and to what God has wow. already told us in his word and to what the church's wow. core mission is, which, by the way, that mission has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with deconstructing one's faith. Now, we're going to get into that a little absolutely. bit later. But see, we're absolutely. that boy. We're that boy with that ice cream cone. Got it piled on. We got, we got, we, we, we got the Skittles, the, all those condiments, the M&Ms, the gummy bears, and what I mean by that is that Christ has given us through his life, death, resurrection, he's given us salvation, redemption, justification, glorification, all those spiritual, if you will, all those spiritual condiments, 
that Christ has given us, but nope, not enough. We got to add these sprinkles. Got to have these sprinkles. So we got to add social justice. We got to add liberation theology. We got to add deconstruction. We got to add the sprinkles to what Christ has already done. Now we ready to rock. That's what I'm right. talking about. You see, right. but, but suffice it to say, Omaha, for where I sit, many professing Christians listening to us today seem totally oblivious to the fact that the evangelical church is, is engaged in a war for the truth. We got many Christians just are totally oblivious to that fact. In fact, it was John MacArthur in his book titled The Truth War, Fighting for Certainty in an Age of Deception, who said this, quote, the one most valuable lesson humanity ought to have learned from philosophy is that it is impossible to make sense of truth without acknowledging God as the necessary starting point, unquote. Now, that quote from John MacArthur is important because, as I said earlier, we have a, a bunch of professing Christians, many of whom are listening to us right now, who are totally oblivious to the fact that we're engaged in a spiritual war for the truth. Yes. Every true believer, Omaha, every true believer in Jesus Christ is engaged every day of his or her life in one form or another in a battle for the truth. True. Come on, man. Come on. If you're a Christian parent, for example, you're commanded by God to raise your children in the truth. That's Ephesians 6, 4. Mm -hmm. If you're a Christian who is married or, or who desires to be married someday, you want your spouse to be someone who tells you the truth and who doesn't mm -hmm. lie to you. That's Ephesians 4, 25. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself said that it is by the truth of the word of God that every believer is sanctified. That's John 17, 17. In, mm -hmm. in, in fact, Omaha, if I were to summarize in one sentence, what is the primary reason why you and I spend the time and effort we do to prepare for each episode of the Just Thinking podcast? Yes. That one reason would be that we care about the truth. That's why That's we right. do what we That's do. Good. That's why we do what Absolutely. we do. That's why it takes us weeks to prepare yes. for a single episode of the Just Thinking podcast because we care about the truth. We care about the truth because the subject matter we deal with on this platform is of eternal importance and significance. We're not just sitting behind these microphones talking about current events and what we subjectively think about those events. That's great. I mean, souls are at stake here. Souls are at mm -hmm. stake. That is why you and I take the time to exposit the issues we address on this platform, Omaha, through the objective lens of the word of God as opposed to through Teen Vogue or People magazine. <laughs> right, right. We don't pick up a copy of a copy of Ebony. I'm not going to go to you and say, hey, listen, check check out what People Magazine and Teen Vogue think about this. Right. I don't care what the culture thinks. I care about what God thinks. I care about what God has to say. What God thinks is the only thing that matters to you and me, Omaha, when we sit down behind these microphones. Now, in saying that, I'm reminded of these words from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who in a sermon titled Questions and Answers Concerning Zion's. Questions and answers concerning Zion. Spurgeon said this. That was that sermon, by the way. He preached it on November 8th, 1883. Mm -hmm. Charles Spurgeon said this in that sermon titled Questions and Answers Concerning Zion. Quote, I cannot agree with those who say that they have, quote, new truth, unquote, to teach. The two words seem to me to contradict each other. That which is new is not true. It is the old that is true. For truth is as old as God, unquote. Mm -hmm. Spurgeon said truth is as old as God. It is the old that is true, not the new. Now, 
along those same lines of thought as, as what Charles Haddon Spurgeon just said. The great J.C. Ryle, a, a man who in recent years has become one of my favorite theologians to read and study. J.C. Ryle said this in his classic book titled Warnings to the Churches. Warnings to the Churches. In chapter 13 of that book, which is titled Let Us Arm Our Minds with the Word of God. J.C. Ryle said this, quote, please listen closely. Ryle said, I am firmly persuaded that many Christians do not give time enough to private reading of the scriptures. I doubt seriously whether people did not know their Bibles better 200 years ago than they do now. The, yep. the consequence is that they are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and fall an easy prey to the first clever teacher of error who tries to influence their minds, unquote. Did you hear that listener? Ryle says that 200 years ago, he would argue that people understood their Bibles better 200 years ago. But today, because people don't read their Bibles, he says they fall easy prey to the first clever teacher of error who tries to influence their minds. Now, Ryle's words bring to my mind, Omaha, this passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, where the Apostle Paul writes, as a result, that is, as a result of what he said prior to verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Now, I felt compelled to quote Spurgeon and Ryle and then the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, Omaha, because I believe sentimentalism, emotionalism, and what I like to call tonism, a reference to the evangelical tone police that are seemingly ubiquitous today and who are so easy to have their feelings hurt by how something is said rather than what is said are becoming so normalized. Those things are becoming so normalized. The, 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 the sentimentalism, the emotionalism and the tone, tonism are becoming so normalized within the church that we no longer believe that there are wolves within its walls. Right. We don't believe that there are men and women within the church who employ tricks who lie, who are crafty, who are deceitful, who are scheming, as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.14. We don't believe that anymore. It goes back to what you said earlier about the sentimentalism and, and, uh, and, and people who act as if they're from the Rob Bell School of, uh, of Functioning Universalism, <laughs> where love wins. <laughs> we don't believe that. We trust everybody. We trust everybody. Oh, we give the benefit of the doubt to everybody. No, we, but see, we don't believe that there are wolves within the walls of the church. Scripture clearly teaches that. But everything within evangelicalism today is filtered through tone. It's filtered through tone, through feelings and emotions. It's as if everything the Bible has to say about false teaching and false teachers has become null and void under the guise that loving one another means we are not to be discerning between what is true and what is false and between what is orthodox and what is heterodox, even at the expense of hurting someone's feelings. See, we, we, we will set aside the truth in deference to someone's feelings. That's where the tone police come in. So you can't, just, you can't just tell someone the truth. You have to say it a certain way in order for it to be accepted as truth. You gotta, it's, it's like butter, pouring butter on the, putting butter on a hot stack of pancakes, then overlaying it with, with the syrup and whatever else you want to put on it. We got to make sure that we sweeten everything up. So that it tastes so that it tastes good to the sinner. 
Man, listen. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm about to ask. I'm about to ask for my own Hammond B3 right there. Come on, man. Come on, man. Imagine that, though. That's what the tone police want. That's what tonism is. That's exactly right. Tonism is that, no, you got to make the truth taste good to the center. That's it. I mean, think about that. I know. It's insane. But listen to what the Puritan theologian Thomas Brooks. Listen to what Thomas Brooks has to say in his wonderful book title. And if you have not read this book, I strongly urge you to, to get it and read it. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Precious Remedies of, Against Satan's Devices. In that book, the Puritan Thomas Brooks says this, quote, A poisonous pill is never a whit the less poisonous because it is gilded over with gold. Nor is a wolf never a whit the less a wolf because he has put on a sheep's skin. Nor is the devil never a whit the less a devil because he appears sometimes like an angel of light. So neither is sin any whit the less filthy and abominable by its being painted over with virtue's colors, unquote. That was Thomas Brooks from his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And again, as I, before I continue Omaha with my notes, just one more comment about Thomas Brooks's Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. In that book, Brooks enumerates several devices of Satan that he uses in the life of the believer to trip, to trip us up, to tempt us and to trip us up. Number one, the number one device in that book, Thomas Brooks says that Satan, he uses the analogy of uh, fishing, going fishing. The number one device that Brooks says Satan uses is to show us the bait, but hide the hook. Yes. We, we, you walked through that in a previous episode. I I cannot remember which one, but I remember you talking to us about it. Brooks says in that book that Satan's number one device is to show us debate and hide the hook and see in deconstruction. That's an example of that device at work, bro. Come on, man. Come deconstruction on, man. is where Satan is showing you debate, but he's hiding the hook. He's hiding the hook. Mm-hmm. Now, I want our listeners to Omaha to consider the words of Spurgeon, Rowland Brooks in light of these words from the Apostle Paul in first Thessalonians five verses four through six. This is first Thessalonians five verses four through six, which of course I am reading from the non-Armenian standard <laughs> Bible translation. First, first Thessalonians four, I'm sorry. First Thessalonians five verses four through six. The apostle Paul says this, but you brethren, you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night or darkness. So then listen, So then Paul says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. That's first Thessalonians five verses four through six. Now the Greek, the Greek verb alert there means to be awake, to be watchful. That is a present perfect tense there to be that, which means we are always to be awake. We are always to be watchful. Conversely, the word sober in that passage is speaking of a moral alertness of being circumspect of being wise to how we conduct ourselves in this corrupt and wicked world. In other words, as followers of Christ, we are not to be apathetic. We're not to be lazy. We're not to be uncaring or unconcerned about the worldly ideologies and philosophies that come camouflaged as light against the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not to be apathetic or lazy or unconcerned about those things. 
And this idea of evangelical deconstructionism is just one of those worldly philosophies that is coming against the church. Thoughts, Omaha? I, a lot of thoughts, man. First of all, that, that whole section was absolute fire. Uh, there, there were times, man, as you walked through that, while I have, I have a solid idea of what you're going to say, the delivery has a massive impact. And so to, to, to see what you laid out in that section is huge. I'm going to walk back through some pieces uh, of that because even, even as you began to unpack that, I made some additions uh, to just some notes that I wanted to, wanted to add. First of all, you started out talking about the battle for truth. And, and, and I love that you said that we are in a battle for truth. Uh, we have been in a, for those who aren't aware, we have been in a battle for truth since the beginning. Bro, Since the beginning. Come on. We've got and we've got to recognize it. It's as if, and I love what you said toward the end. You talked about alertness. I mean, it, you, you bookended this. I don't know if you recognize you did that, but you bookended this by by starting with a battle for truth and then the alertness that we must have as we conduct ourselves as followers of Christ. Not to be apathetic, not to be lazy, not to be uncaring about worldly ideologies. Why? Because we're in a battle for truth truth Mm -hmm. so in that section you bookended both pieces of that just just absolutely uh uh, just just clearly and and i want our people to recognize that scripture is actually clear about the devices of the world the the the, the plans and intentions of the world you and i say it often on on the just thinking podcast we expect the world to world yep uh but but scripture is clear ecclesiastes 1 9 says what has been is what will be, hmm. and what has been has been done, and is and it and what will be will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So I started out by saying, in this battle for truth, uh, we're going to be. We, we've been in this battle from the beginning, and none of the devices of the devil are new. Mm-hmm. All of these are absolutely clear, and as we as we connect ourselves to Scripture, we'll be clear about that. The other thing you mentioned is you talked about about the the, the tone police, mm-hmm. and uh, and and how they're always listening for what you know how you sound, mm-hmm. and are more concerned about that than what you've said. They're right. concerned about what about how you sound rather than about what you said. And the, the, the only sin for the tone police, they, first of all, they don't believe that there's, that there's a wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, yep. when I say, and when I say, when I say tone police, I'm not talking about the world. Right. I'm talking about believers right. in Christ. Yep. I'm, talking, I'm talking about followers of Christ, evangelicals, Christians, churchgoers who claim that they are believers in Christ who are tone police, who care more about the sound of what's said than the substance of what's said. Those mm-hmm. things are important. The only sin that they believe is that, 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 that they believe that the sin is actually warning that there is a wolf. Yeah, yeah. Right? They, they, bro, bro, ho, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold up. I got to interject something here. Bro, you killed it. it. You killed it right there. You absolutely nailed it. They're, they're the ones who, who sound the sound. Whoa, 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 whoa. Get out, get out the car, show you the badge. Hold up. Hold up. I caught you. I caught you telling someone the truth, but you didn't tell them with the right tone of voice. I got to write you a ticket. Right. <laughs> right. I, I got I to write, right. write you a tone ticket. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually, you actually put sirens in one of our episodes did, right because we, we were talking about the tone police yeah that was, that was, coming, the, that was right? the episode on biblical unity we use that sound effect yes. and that and just freak people out when they, they listen to it in their cars 
People stop and turn around. <laughs> people stop and turn around, look and think somebody's coming. But this is that's that's, 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 that's how you feel. That's, that's how you that's, feel. That's exactly how you. That, that, that's an app. That's an app metaphor right there because that's exactly what happens. They pull up to you, sound the siren. No, stop your car. You got to pull over. No, got to write you a ticket. I, I I caught you telling the truth, but you didn't say it the right way. So here's a tone right. ticket. Right. Yeah. That's go, what you I, get. I, I had to interject that, man, because you nailed it right there, bro. Go ahead and continue. No doubt. Tone tickets. Earlier when you quoted J.C. Rouse, you focused on the on a section of Rouse's letter where, where he actually is quoting from Paul, who who's writing to the church mm-hmm. in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. You quoted from Ephesians 4.14, mm-hmm. which says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and by deceitful schemes. Now, Paul is writing his letter to a church that is in the crosshairs of culture and commerce. Ephesus was a port city and uh, to all the ancient world, and they came to do business there. Along with the money and resources, these travelers brought their worldly philosophies and their cultural practices. And as you know, Ephesus was also the place of the temple goddess Artemis, mm-hmm. uh, where, 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 where travelers would come from all over the world. They'd come to Ephesus and engage in all sorts of wickedness and sexual perversion in the temple. Now, Paul wants to warn the church not to be caught up in the ideologies of culture and its influences as, as they, as they in, in embark upon their city. So how does he explain to them how they, how they need to navigate these multifaceted issues? Well, he explains it in Ephesians 4, 11, where he writes this. He says, and he, being God, gave the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers for, wh- wh- why did he do that? To equip the saints for works of ministry, for the building mm-hmm. of the body of mm-hmm. Christ, until we all attain unity, y- unity, unity in culture, unity with, with others. No, Scripture's clear. Unity in the faith yes. and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Tell them, bro. Right? To, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness in Christ. And then he says... We do this, and it's all connected to Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, here it comes, speaking the truth according to the tone. No, that's not what it says. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And then it is working properly. It makes the body grow. It builds itself up in love. Why do I bring this up? Well, the why is, is because the, the first part of this is so important. It's important that, that you and I, Daryl, do this episode because of, because of what, what verse 11 actually calls. The verse 11 actually says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What I'm coming to learn is that, unfortunately, far too many uh, uh, believers in Christ, those who are in the ministry, have abdicated the responsibility, right? They've embraced pragmatism. They've embraced sentimentalism and have abdicated their responsibility to equip the saints for works of ministry. Whoa, 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 I, I did, bro. I, okay, so I know you, bro. Seriously, in all seriousness, you just what you just did. I know, I know you're not done yet, but I had to interject here, man. What, do it, what, do what, it, what, do what it. you're doing, what you're in the midst of doing, bro, is what we say here on the Just Thinking Podcast. We turn pages. The, we the, turn pages, bro. The, the exposition you're walking our listeners to through right now is so crucial. 
It's so crucial. Yeah, I interrupted sarcastically there, but I was being sarcastic to prove a point. This is this is this 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 is one of those situations where you hear us. This is one of those what I call bumper sticker verses, one of those T-shirt verses. We love yes. we love to cite Ephesians four fifteen, yes, especially speak the truth and love. The, for for Ephesians four fifteen, Ephesians four fifteen is to the evangelical tone police person. What Micah six eight is to the evangelical yes. social justice. Come on, come on, come on, come on. The evangelical tone police person loves to cite Ephesians four four fifteen. But without any context with respect to the verses that led up to that. And that's yes. what you're walking us through right now. So I had to interrupt with the Absolutely. evangelical tone police siren, bro, because you're guilty of offense number one <laughs> that the evangelical tone police hate. They don't like you just giving them straight truth if you don't say it with enough syrup. So put some more syrup on the pancakes, bro, and go ahead and continue. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. You've got to provide the context. Exactly. What ends up happening? What ends up happening is we pull out speaking the truth in love, right? And we don't attach it to what all was happening beforehand. Exactly. Right? God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So, so what we're to do is we're to attain unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood so that we can so that we can mature in the fullness of Christ. We have everything we need. And this goes back to the conversation we had earlier about, about biblical sufficiency. We have everything we need according to Scripture. There's no deconstruction necessary. There's no social justice necessary. There's no CRT necessary. All that is necessary is for us to sit our butts underneath the leadership <laughs> of pastors, teachers, who who have on, not man. capitulated, right? Who have not capitulated on these issues and are willing to stand and say what the Bible says. And and once they've done so, we can then love our neighbor by rightly man, speaking the truth on. to them in love. That's how this is supposed to work. Let me get let me get back to my notes, man. It, I just simply wanted to say that what we what you and I do in this space because of what we're seeing in culture. I'm going to I'm going to take a side trail just for a second. Do your thing, bro, because because I think this context is important. You and I have been blown away by by what has happened with this podcast. Yes. Are we, are, are we not? A- absolutely yeah. blown away. And, and a lot of the reason for that is because people are hungry for the truth. Yes. Right. And where, and where they should be getting it in pulpits they're not receiving it. Right. Not, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's the case everywhere, right. but it is the case in enough spaces and places where we have seen tremendous growth on this platform. Have right. we not? We have Un- incredible. Growth. Well, it's been incredible. What are people hungry for? They're hungry for someone speaking the truth in love who loved them enough to be willing to share truth with them in such a way that they can be equipped for the work of ministry that yes. they're that they're in that, that they're to do. Yes. One of the things that I love is that pastors have come to us and said, you know what, I'm doing, I'm those those solid Bible teaching pastors. Right, those expositors, saying, yeah. Those expositors who are saying, I've got to unpack scripture week in, week out, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, and I'm, I'm thankful for what you guys do, what you and Daryl do, because it helps me to be up to speed on a particular cultural issue. Yes. And an effort, then they take that and go back and feed their sheep. That's right. how this is supposed to work. Right. That's how this is supposed supposed to work. However, 
for those pastors in the other category that aren't addressing the issues. I just talked about the pastors that were addressing right. the issues yeah. rightly, right? Those expositors who are who are get get using our, our resource and 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 our and our and are equipping the saints for works of ministry. But for those pastors who are in the other category, perhaps they aren't addressing the issues uh, in any way, shape, or form. They are missing out on an opportunity to properly love the sheep of God that He has given them. Yeah, and, worse. And, and, and first, if I, if I could just say something real quick, you know, I think it was on the uh, episode we did on unity that I made a comment that we have too many uh, to, to your. I'm trying to connect this to your point that you just made about mm-hmm. what's uh, about pastors being able to speak to these sociocultural issues from the pulpit. In that episode on unity, I made the comment that we've got a bunch of evangelical Christians out there today who want the pulpit, the church to be just an extension of the NAACP. Yes, when, that's when, good. Come when, on, come when on. We, when we have when we have a cultural issue such as one the one we're discussing today in deconstruction, as well as those issues we've discussed previously on critical race theory, liberation theology, reparations, slavery, and things like that, they want the pastor to to take the time to write a sermon and preach a sermon on mm-hmm. that issue. So when mm-hmm. they they they'll say, "Well, I need I need my pastor to speak on critical race theory. I need my pastor to speak." on social justice. I need my pastor to speak on uh, liberation theology. I need my pastor to speak on justice and injustice. Well, here's what you, here's, here's what, here's what was so brilliant about what you're doing uh, so far, uh, Omaha, what you're establishing in your reiteration that uh, that scripture is sufficient. And I had an opportunity to share this with someone in Nashville uh, the other day while we were there for, uh, for NRB. What you, what you do when you're a pastor sticks to the text when your pastor preaches expositionally from the text the text will lead you the text will lead your pastor to talking about those issues you use the text to take you to the issue you don't take the issue and then try to inculcate it into the text come on somebody give me a happy somebody give me a happy be right there right about now (laughs) you take the text you preach the text and then yes. you give application of the text to these issues. You don't need to. Yes. You don't need your pastor to try to morph into Martin Luther King Jr. from the pulpit. Right. What you need is right. an expositor. You don't need a civil rights worker from the pulpit. You need a biblical right. expositor who knows who is gifted by the Holy Spirit to unpack the truths of Scripture. And then, as he does that, I said he, not she. As he <laughs> does that from the pulpit, the text will lead you. So how to view those issues. Absolutely. So, so actually Absolutely. what you're getting when you have a biblical expositor in your pulpit, if he is faithfully expositing the word of God, you're hearing a sermon every week that addresses yes. deconstruction, that addresses critical race theory, that addresses injustice, that addresses so on and so forth. Yes. So Virgil, yes. What, you, what, you're, what you're doing now, bro, what you're doing right now is so brilliant, is so necessary that mm. that I had to I had to butt in here, man, and say that. Now, what we're gonna find though, and again, back to our, our one of our mottos, we don't care. And let me just say this to the evangelical tone police right now. I don't really care what you're gonna think about us after you listen to this episode. I do not care. I right. don't. I cannot say that emphatically enough. I don't care. You can go all you want. I really don't care right. what you think. This brother right. here, Virgil Walker, is just nailing it down. I don't really care about tone right now. This brother is giving you a clinic on biblical exposition as he walks you through 
the contextual application of what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 4. Go ahead and continue, Absolutely. B. Absolutely. Well, let me let me unpack it by by doing this. Let me roll to something else you said. You used John MacArthur's book, The The Truth War. Uh, and in that book, MacArthur writes this, quote, truth exists outside of us and remains the same regardless of how we may perceive it. Truth, by definition, is as fixed and as constant as God is immutable. That is because real truth, what Francis Schaeffer calls true truth, is unchanged and uncha- and the unchanging expression of who God is. It's not for our own personal and arbitrary interpretation of reality, end quote. There is so much that mm. I could say about that mm-hmm. right there that would totally destroy any thought process that we could deconstruct anything, right? right? But I, I'm, I'm going to save that for later. A, a brief word about, about MacArthur. Uh, I just haven't come back after Shepherd's Conference. I, I realized a number of times that that as I sat there, uh, Daryl, and listened to him, uh, I, I know w- where he is in his ministry, uh, the, the time frame he's at, and, and my opportunities to get back there. This this may be one of the last few times I get the, the joy of, of, of sitting uh, in front of him, and, and that is ab- and I, I absolutely treasured that. But here's, as I had that thought, there was a Q&A that was done shortly after where he got on the platform looking very invigorated mm-hmm. uh, and he says and he's, he 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 was asked the question you know how how are you feeling about what you've been through are you worn out the last 2 years of all the issues you've been he, he looked very plainly and in just classic John MacArthur fashion, he said, no, I feel more invigorated than I ever have. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've got more energy, more, more, you know, I mean, he just went on about how, how energetic he felt, how energized he felt, uh, and, and just, just amazing what he had walked through. Uh, when I think about his ministry, I can think of no ministry that has taken a stronger stand on the truth. There's no other modern ministry as well that has paid a higher price for doing so. Yeah. Uh, of, of the men in, in modern ministry, and I'm speaking modern modern day, yeah. be, it, be it a Spurgeon, a Lloyd-Jones, a Sproul, a MacArthur, Grace Community Church and its pulpit represent a stalwart against the falsehoods of culture. Absolutely does, hands down. Back, back, back to the scripture. I want to just mention uh, truth. The word truth is mentioned some 235 times in the scripture. Uh, I'm also reminded of the words of Jesus as he stands before Pilate in John 18, 36, where Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And Mm -hmm. Pilate says to him, so you're a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose was I born, and for this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens to my voice listens to truth. And mm. Pilate says to him, what is truth? Mm. In that same way, man, and I'll wrap up here, that Pilate scoffs. Pilate scoffs at Jesus, who is the very personification of truth. Uh, our culture scoffs in the same way as, as we, those who are the followers of Christ, represent truth. Culture and unfortunately, even aspects of church culture, those who we're going to talk about momentarily, who are who are beholden to the idea of deconstructionism, they actually scoff at the truth. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, there's many excellent points there, uh, V. And again, man, thanks for taking the time to walk me and our listeners through that, man. That was very necessary. You know, so we're talking in this episode. We're talking in this episode of the Just Thinking podcast about evangelical deconstructionism. 
And the question most of our listeners are probably asking themselves to this point in the episode, V, is what exactly is deconstructionism anyway? What is it? Well, I'm glad you asked, because one thing we're known for on the Just Thinking podcast is that we take the time to define terms. Mm-hmm. Unless you take the time to apply definitions to the words you use, you're engaging in a fruitless exercise in futility. You're having conversations with a wall as far as that goes. So you have to take the time to define the terms before you engage in a discussion or discourse about the issue at stake. So let's look. All right. Let's take some time to look at the question of what deconstruction or deconstructionism is so that our listeners can have some context as we move forward in our discussion about this topic. Now, when endeavoring to define deconstruction or deconstructionism, one must begin with the 20th century century French philosopher and Marxist Jacques Derrida. Jacques Derrida lived from 1930 to 2004. You have to begin with Jacques Derrida when you begin any conversation about deconstruction or deconstructionism. According to the Stanford University Encyclopedia of Philosophy, quote, Jacques Derrida was the founder of deconstruction, a way of criticizing not only both literary and philosophical texts, but also political institutions. Deconstruction is the most famous of Derrida's terms. He seems to have appropriated the term from Martin Heidegger's use of destruction in Heidegger's book titled Being and Time but we can get a general sense of what Derrida means with deconstruction by recalling Descartes' first meditation. Descartes' first meditation. There, Descartes says that for a long time he has been making mistakes. The criticism of his former beliefs, both mistaken and valid, aims toward uncovering a firm and permanent foundation. The image of a foundation implies that the collection of his formal beliefs resembles a building. In the first meditation, then, Descartes is in effect taking down this old building, deconstructing it in the search for a, quote, firm and permanent foundation, unquote. Now, that language there, listener, is going to come into play later on as Virgil and I continue this discussion. So pre- please don't lose that, especially this idea that deconstruction sort of presents an image of a foundation in which it implies that the collection of former beliefs resembles a building and that that building has to be taken down or deconstructed. OK, now. Along with that commentary from the Stanford University Encyclopedia of Philosophy, listen to this from a 2016 white paper titled Deconstruction, the End of Writing that is posted on the website of the Alliance of Small Islands States or AOSIS, AOSIS. In this white paper, again, titled Deconstruction, the End of Writing, Professor Gavin P. Hendricks of the Department of Biblical and Ancient Studies at the University of South Africa writes this, quote, Deconstruction, a theory about language and literature, was developed in large part as a reaction to the primacy of French structuralism and a repressive academic and intellectual system that rigidly administered a unique and definitive interpretation of literary texts. Deconstruction designates the philosophy of Jacques Derrida, 
which is a strict analysis of language in the philosophical and theological text. What most characterizes deconstruction is its notion of textuality, a view of language as it exists not only in books, but in speech, in history, and in culture, especially the written language. For Derrida, there was nothing outside the text. Deconstruction's major objective, listen to this, uh, folks. Deconstruction's major objective is to take the text apart and point out the behavior of figurative language, following which the elements are put back together in a totally different way. And let me pause here in that quote. I still have more to, to cite here from uh, Dr. Gavin P. Hendricks, but listen to that again. Deconstructors, deconstruction's major objective is to take the text apart and to point out the behavior of figurative language following which the text elements are put together again in a totally different way. Continuing with the quote, deconstruction is indebted to Friedrich Nietzsche for teaching the mind how to dance or play by acknowledging the metaphorical power of language and the joyful affirmation of play along the world. Deconstruction takes elements of the text apart, points out the behavior and figurative language, and interprets it in another way. It is a close reading of the text, albeit a negative one. So again, let me pause here again. In deconstruction, language or the text is always interpreted negatively. It's always interpreted negatively. So it starts with that presupposition in order to establish why it needs to be deconstructed and reconstructed. Continuing with the quote, Jacques Derrida approaches the text through what's called double reading. The purpose is not to demolish or deplace conventional reading, but to prove moments of self-contradiction in the text. Deconstruction can only take place within a dominant interpretation rather than from outside. Deconstruction is a speculative enterprise and can be seen purely as relativism, unquote. All right. So again, all of that was from Dr. Gavin P. Hendricks of the Department of Biblical and Ancient Studies at the University of South Africa in a white paper he wrote in 2016 titled Deconstruction, the End of Writing. And in that quote, please don't miss that last sentence. Deconstruction is a speculative enterprise and can be seen purely as relativism. Okay, don't miss that. Now, likewise, the Encyclopedia Britannica provides us with some additional insights into the origins of the, the Derridian origins of deconstruction in the Encyclopedia Britannica. We read this quote. Deconstruction is a form of philosophical and literary analysis derived mainly from work begun by the French philosopher Jacques Derrida that questions the fundamental conceptual distinctions or oppositions in Western philosophy through a close examination of the language and logic of philosophical and literary texts. In polemical discussions about intellectual trends of the late 20th century, deconstruction was sometimes used pejoratively. Now, remember what I said earlier. In deconstruction, the text is always posited in a negative light. 
So what the Encyclopedia Britannica is saying here aligns right along with that. Again, starting over, in polemical discussions about intellectual trends of the late 20th century, deconstruction was sometimes used pejoratively to suggest nihilism and frivolous skepticism. In popular usage, however, the term has come to mean a critical dismantling of tradition and of traditional modes of thought. Don't forget that as we continue in this episode, that's going to be very important for you to come back to. Again, in popular uses today, right? So in contemporary usage here in the 21st century, the term deconstruction has come to mean a critical dismantling of tradition and traditional modes of thought. Continuing with the quote from Encyclopedia Britannica, the oppositions challenged by deconstruction, which have been inherent in Western philosophy since the time of the ancient Greeks, are characteristically binary and hierarchical, involving a pair of terms in which one member of the pair is assumed to be primary or fundamental, the other secondary or derivative. Examples include nature and culture, speech and writing, mind and body, presence and absence, inside and outside, literal and metaphorical, intelligible and sensible, and form and meaning, among many others. To, quote, deconstruct, unquote, an opposition is to explore the tensions and contradictions between the hierarchical ordering assumed and sometimes explicitly asserted in the text and other aspects of the text's meaning, especially those that are indirect or implicit or that rely on figurative or performative uses of language. Through this analysis, the opposition is shown to be a product or quote, construction, unquote, of the text rather than something given independently of it, unquote. Now, let me pause here and confess that I know that was a lot to take in. That was a lot to devour in that section that I just covered. But it was necessary for me to do that in order to give our listeners, Omaha, an understanding of the genesis of this philosophical concept known as deconstruction, okay? But but with all that I just read, right, I want to take that time to, to tie the origin and the genesis of deconstruction as an idea back to the Marxist Jacques Derrida, okay? But with all that I just read, that was the goal there, is to tie the idea of de- deconstruction back to Jacques Derrida from first sources, okay, from external sources, uh, to tie the idea of and concept of deconstruction back to Derrida. But having provided all that as background, here is a definition. So if you want to know what deconstruction is, here is a, one of the most clear definitions of deconstruction that you will find anywhere. Okay. This definition is published in an article from May 27, 2016 by Dr. Catherine Turner of the Durham Law School, Durham, North Carolina Law School, titled Jacques Derrida, Deconstruction. Okay, this is Dr. Catherine Turner of Durham Law School in a white paper that was published on May 27, 2016, titled Jacques Derrida, Deconstruction. In that article, Dr. Catherine Turner defines deconstruction as follows, quote, Deconstruction is concerned not with the discovery of truth or of distilling correct conclusions, 
but rather with the process of questioning truth itself. It is a process characterized by uncertainty and indeterminacy. For this reason, deconstruction is not a method and it cannot be transformed into a method. One cannot apply deconstruction to test a hypothesis or to support an argument. Rather, it is an ongoing process of interrogation concerned with the structure of meaning itself. Deconstruction does not aim to provide answers. Did you hear that, listeners? I am still quoting Dr. Catherine Turner of the Durham Law School in her paper titled Jacques Derrida, Deconstruction. Deconstruction does not aim to provide answers. It does not seek to provide an objective truth or to support any one particular claim to justice over another. For this reason, deconstruction itself is indeterminate. In Force of Law, Jacques Derrida concedes that deconstruction is impossible. So here you have the guy who originated the idea of deconstruction admitting that deconstruction itself is impossible. Continuing to quote Dr. Turner, the happening of deconstruction is not going to lead to a determinate outcome. It will not reveal the one true meaning of justice that can be embodied in law. Rather, deconstruction requires first and foremost the relentless pursuit of the impossible. I mean, just think about that. Deconstruction requires first and foremost the relentless pursuit of the impossible. What is, quote, happening, unquote, is not the pursuit of an answer which marks the end of the inquiry, but rather the ongoing questioning that keeps our minds open to the idea that there may be alternative views and understandings of the meaning of justice. When seen in these terms, it is not a method, but simply a way of reading, writing, thinking, and acting. Rather than seeking an end point or a solid conclusion, the means cannot be distinguished from the end. The ongoing process of questioning is the end in itself. Do you hear that, listeners? The ongoing in, in, in deconstruction, what's important is the process of questioning. That's the end goal, is to just keep questioning. It's not to find the truth, it's but just to keep asking questions. You just keep questioning. That's the end. That's exactly what, <clears throat> excuse me, that's exactly what Dr. Turner is saying here. Is that in deconstruction, you're not seeking the truth. You're just seeking more questions. Dr. Turner closes with this. It is about, again, talking about deconstruction. She says the ongoing process of questioning is the end in itself. It is, it is about negotiating the impossible and the undecidable. And in doing so, remaining open to the possibility of justice, unquote. So, I'm going to turn it back over to you, Omaha, in one second. But it, 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 as you as you reflect on this defi- this definition by Dr. Catherine Turner, which is brilliant, it's brilliant. When you when you reflect on on how she defines deconstructionism, deconstruction, and all the elements that go into it, you see how how futile it is. It doesn't it doesn't even have a goal. It has it's it's just the exercise itself. 
It doesn't seek truth. It doesn't seek objective truth. It's, it's, it, 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 there's nothing meaningful in it at all. And this, but this, even Derrida acknowledged that. I mean, I'm, I struggle to find the words to describe how nonsensical and futile this whole idea of deconstruction is, man. What, what are your thoughts, man? What, what you got? Bro, that that section was worth its weight in gold, and so I'm going to encourage others to go back and listen uh, to the definitions, to take a pen, some paper, and write down notes, so that every time you hear someone mention deconstruction, you recognize how absolutely ridiculous it is. It's ridiculous, um, there, bro. There's, That's there's a no per- perfect way to there's, describe there's, it. There's no plan with it. There's no goal with it. It's just the. It's just an exercise of constantly questioning. Uh, I, I've got two, two major points in my notes, but I just had to say that, that one, again, encourage the listener, that section, if you want to know what the, we get accused all the time of not going to original sources. We get accused all the time of, <laughs> of, 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 not, of, of not studying, you know, not studying, uh, 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 you know, authors and, and, and theologians or, 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 or thinkers uh, that, that, that posit these ridiculous ideologies. What Daryl just did in that section was walked you through exactly what what those who proponents of this idea have examined and written down in an effort to define it. I, as you were talking, it reminded me of, of one of the things that you said about CRT, uh, which is d- deconstructionism is eschatological. Yes, right, very they, much so. They, they, they they're much so. They, they, they're, they're eschatological and is utopia. It's it's nowhere. It's right? nowhere. It, it's it's absolutely right. It's absolutely nowhere. Uh, but but they, I don't know what what they're gaining. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to say there's commentary that I have for later that I want to bring into now, but I'm I'm going to wait. For that. <laughs> Let me stick to my notes. Let me stick to my notes. I've got two things. Number one, what began, and, and this is kind of how you started. You kind of unpacked the origin of, of deconstructionism, Derrida, and, and the like. Well, what began as as literary deconstruction, i.e., the criticism of of language and the, and text, uh, began as all as all philosophies do, right? It, it begins as as most of these philosophical ideas begin. They begin with with with, with perhaps good intentions, right? They begin with, hey, you know what? Let's let's take a look at some things and ask some questions. But then let the human condition, let let the depravity of of the of, of human beings mm-hmm. in, engage in that idea, uh, and what you begin to happen is this false idea is expanded into every area of life. Yeah. Uh, as was the case with CRT, the the aspect of being critical as deconstruction requires is evident, right? Right. In, in this in in the area of deconstruction critical or, or or being critical of 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 text of liter of literature doesn't mean uh being b- being uh examining it doesn't mean to examine b- being critical even in deconstructionism actually just simply means to criticize all they all they're going to do is ask questions over and over and over again that's the same thing that we had with CRT was it not Bingo. That's the exact same thing. Matter of fact, man, I'm over, here biting, I'm over here biting my lip trying to make that exact same point, bro. That's what we, we tell people everywhere <laughs> we go, that the C, the C in critical race theory does not stand for critis, uh, critique. It stands, it stands for criticizing. It does not mean you analyze objectively anything. It criti- That's what the C in critical race theory means. It criticizes. You just find everything mm-hmm. to criticize that you can. That's exactly what the deconstructionist does. You're exactly right, V. All of what Derda is doing is he's promoting that criticizing 
the powerful. He's criticizing the right. He's criticizing those who have positions of strength and an effort to expose to others the benefits of the weak, the benefits of the left and the Mm -hmm. benefits of a position of weakness. To deconstruct, of course, doesn't necessarily mean to destroy. It just simply questions things until the point at which they're meaningless. Right. Uh, it means it means to well deconstruct said. for the purpose. It means to deconstruct or deconstruct. They they actually uh, promote the idea of deconstructing. At least Lecrae will hear uh, in moments deconstruct for the purpose of reconstructing in a particular form. But according to, D- to Derrida, this new form requires elements from those with diminished power. So what they're right. doing is as the deconstruction is happening, they're saying, you know, we'll, we'll reconstruct. But that reconstruction has to have the right, the left. It has to have the strong and the weak. Uh-huh. Uh, it has to have the white, the black. It has to have uh-huh. all of these elements uh-huh. Combined and and it's irrespective to truth. The the step the plumb line is not is not truth. The plumb line is: Did we get enough voices? Did we get enough ideas? Did we get right. enough things into play? And again, all of this so, is on the basis of of one's own subjectivity. So, so in other words, the plumb line Reading, is, the, the plumb line is pluralism, is what it is. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yep. Yep. Reading Derrida as I prepared for this episode can be as, as daunting a task uh, yes. as, as much of what what we've what what, what we've done in reading uh, crits. Right. And yep. much of what we've done in reading CRTers. Right. Yep. Uh, it, it was it was it was an author by the name of Timothy Morton, who in his book, uh, the the ecological thought uh, wrote the following about Derrida. He said this, quote, the assumption that Derrida always knows what he's talking about is not Derridian. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Isn't that good? That's a good one. Again, this reminds me of the volume of work, Daryl, that you and I have done in in reading CRTers. You've often made the statement that crits and those advocating for CRT are writing for other academicians Mm -hmm. to impress their, their fellow academicians. Mm -hmm. Uh, The purpose of their writing is to criticize, uh, not, not to critique. Therefore the rules of logic and structure of thought that is required in every other area of the science is not required in this one at at, at all. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Derrida falls within this frame. Here's my second thought. Derrida's deconstruction fueled what was behind both post-structuralism and and what would follow, which is Mm -hmm. post-modernism. Post-structuralism, it was just simply the idea of breaking down structures, breaking down the the, the major ideas that we had in culture, uh, those things that gave us uh, right from wrong, left from right, and the like. And and in his time frame, he had a major influence as well on post-modernism. The critique of post-culturalism required criticism of much more, however, than just literature. So what began in the area of literature eventually would find its way into every other facet. So you had the breakdown of of masculinity versus femininity, Mm -hmm. the breakdown of black versus white, love versus hatred, cause and effect, conscious versus unconscious, Mm -hmm. presence versus absence, speech versus writing. It was the post-structuralism, it was in this post-structuralism beginning that, that we saw this kind of domino effect into every other facet of life. Like again, Daryl, I have to say it, man, again, didn't we just see this with all of the stuff that we dealt with with CRT? Bro, that's what I said at the beginning, man. Here we are again. Here we are yep. again, V. We've seen this all before. But here the church yep. is, yep. no, got to have them sprinkles. Got to have them sprinkles. <laughs> I turn it over to you, my friend. You know, you know, V, 
every philosophy, man, every philosophy, every ideology, indeed, every theology, whether true or false, that has ever existed across the annals of human history has had an origin and a beginning of some kind. Mm -hmm. Every single Mm -hmm. worldview. It is no different with deconstruction. Simply put, and see, you, 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 you gave me a great, great segue into this. Simply put, deconstruction is merely another arm or tentacle of the Western European Marxist tradition on its critical theory. That's all deconstruction is. Evangelical deconstruction is simply critical theory applied to Orthodox biblical Christianity, applied to the principles and precepts of Orthodox biblical hermeneutics and exegesis, because deconstruction looks to take apart the text, take, take apart meanings, and it's also applied to orthodox ecclesiastical polity, all toward the goal, all toward the goal, as I stated earlier, of dismantling certain traditional modes of Christian orthodoxy and orthopraxy and reconstructing them in such a way as to comport to the current sociocultural milieu, which today is saturated with woke theology and activist theologians. Yes. That's yes, ultimately yes. the goal of evangelical yes. deconstruction. It's just critical theory applied to orthodox biblical hermeneutics and exegesis, applied to orthodox mm-hmm. ecclesiastical polity, applied to the orthodox, orthodox principles, again, of what biblical Christianity looks like, all towards the goal of reconstructing the church in such a way as to comport to the current sociocultural milieu. That's the goal of all of this. You got a bunch of woke theologians, a bunch of activist theologians within the church who are pushing that. But I want to quote Dr. Gavin Hendricks, who I quoted earlier. I want to quote him one more time from that same uh, piece of, uh, uh, from that same uh, white paper that he wrote. Quote, Dr. this is Dr. Gavin P. Hendricks. He says this, quote, deconstruction is not destruction. You just made this point, V. Deconstruction is not destruction. Rather, it's the dismantling of cultural, philosophical, institutional, and I would add religious structures that starts from textual. In deconstruction, I'm continuing to quote Dr. Gavin Hendricks. In deconstruction, every system is a social construction, something that has been assembled. And construction entails exclusions. Deconstruction seeks out those points or cracks in the system where it disguises the fact of its incompleteness, its failure to cohere as a self-contained whole. In locating these points and applying a kind of authority to them, one is able to deconstruct the system. Deconstruction distrusts all systems and applies to those systems a hermeneutic of suspicion, unquote. That was Dr. Gavin P. Hendricks. He says deconstruction distrusts all systems and applies to those systems a hermeneutic of suspicion, Now, Hendricks also says that every system, in deconstruction, every system is a social construction. But I want to ask our listeners, where have you heard that phrase hermeneutic of suspicion before? (laughs) 
Where have you heard that before? Well, you've heard it from a bunch of woke evangelicals within the church. Yes. I'm tempted to name some names, but I won't. (laughs) I'm going to restrain myself. But that Mm -hmm. term, hermeneutic of suspicion, there were some woke evangelicals within the church who were using that phrase not many months ago on social media. Absolutely. You've you've seen that phrase before, listeners. You've heard that phrase before. Yep. In chapter 10, Omaha, chapter 10 of the book titled Revolutions in Worldview, subtitled Understanding the Flow of Western Thought. In chapter 10 of that book titled Philosophy Among the Ruins, Dr. Michael W. Payne writes this, quote, In deconstruction, the tribunal for determining what is good, true, or meaningful is found entirely within communal or intersubjective experience. Let me read that sentence again. Because this points back, Omaha, to what you just said a minute ago. Deconstruction is not about finding the truth. It's about getting as many, uh, as much input and perspectives and opinions as you possibly can. That's exactly what Dr. Payne is saying here. He says, in deconstruction, the tribunal for determining what is good, true, or meaningful is found entirely within communal or intersubjective experience. In critical race theory, right, we would call that intersectionality. That's exactly what Dr. Payne right. is talking about here. Dr. Payne says there is no court of appeal outside language because it is a purely human convention. Thus, there is no essential reality, only contingent reality. Therefore, there is only perspective or, quote, perspective seeing, unquote, as Nietzsche described it in On the Genealogy of Morals. I'm continuing to quote Dr. Michael W. Payne. Any attempt to ignore this would be to, quote, castrate the intellect, unquote. Expounding on this Nietzschean theme, Jacques Derrida describes the desire for, quote, essence, unquote, as a misguided metaphysical quest that seeks a, quote, centered structure, unquote. So what what Payne is Dr. Payne is saying here is that is essentially what Derrida is arguing is that the desire for essence or what we would call the desire for uh, objective truth is a misguided metaphysical quest. So Derrida is basically saying that this, the, to, to seek objective truth is a waste of time. Dr. W- Dr. Payne continues, Derrida argues whatever contingency or play there is, is based on a fundamental ground a play constituted on the basis of a fundamental immobility and a reassuring certitude, which is itself beyond play. So again, before I wrap up this quote by Dr. Payne, I have to say this, you have to be able to uh, uh, dice up and parse with Dr. Payne here. He's essentially saying that Derrida's, uh, in, De- in Derrida's deconstruction, it's like you said earlier, Omaha, it's a search for nothing. Absolutely. It's a search for, he's arguing that there's a mean, there's such a thing in deconstruction. Deconstruction is meaning, a meaningful search for meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. It's all redundant. Deconstruction is redundant. If I could narrow it down to that, I would say it, that's, that that's what it is. Deconstruction by nature is redundant. Dr. Payne mm-hmm. closes that quote with this. He says, according to Derrida and other deconstructionists such quests for essence in other words such quests for objective truth is at best illusory 
unquote. It's a mirage, in other words. Mm-hmm. It's a phantasm. It's a ghost. It's, 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 again, as I said earlier, it's a quest for the impossible. Mm-hmm. So you see, you just see, it's like you said it earlier, Omaha, deconstruction is just ridiculousness. It is. It's ridiculousness. It takes you absolutely nowhere because that's not the goal. The goal is to go nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's to just keep on this philosophical, ideological hamster wheel that you never get off of. Mm-hmm. So having read having gone through what I just went through and quoting Dr. Payne, Dr. Gavin Hendricks, and then earlier, Dr. Catherine Turner's definition, brilliant definition of deconstruction. Yes. I want to put forth to our listeners that here is what I see to be the five point progression of evangelical deconstructionism. Mm -hmm. I'm going to walk you through listeners. What are the five points of evangelical deconstructionism? Okay. Understanding number one, understanding first and foremost, that in deconstruction, everything is a social construction, including the church, including the church. That's going to be very important for you to remember as I walk you through this five point progression of evangelical deconstructionism. Point one, point one in this five point progression is to embrace and posit the idea that the church is a socially constructed system, not a divinely yes. ordained idea that originated in the mind of God. Please, That's please slow one. down. Please, please, please slow down and, and, and repeat that because number one is critical. The others follow. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is like the five points of Calvinism by any stretch, but if you understand the first one, if you understand the first, if, if you pull the, pull the lever on this first one, and, and and it goes through, all the others follow. So so go back through the first one and walk them through that. First point in the five-point progression of evangelical deconstruction. Number one, embrace and posit the Derridian idea that the church is a socially constructed system, not a divinely ordained institution that originated in the mind of God. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you here for just a second because... I want the listeners to understand the critical nature of that. What that does is that undermines everything authoritative about the church. Bingo. It, it, it undermines biblical ecclesiology. It undermines biblical anthropology. It undermines it, 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 every, every, this one thing. If you posit that the church is socially constru- a socially constructed system, you can, you can twist, bend, break, uh, wrap around you can do whatever you want to the church thereafter in an effort to quote unquote deconstruct it so I, I, I definitely want to make sure that, that you get that part yeah so in deconstructionism because everything is a social construction the church as you just put it Omaha the church is nothing more than e- ecclesiastical play-doh when you, Absolutely. When you accept that the, the, the Derridian idea that the church is a social con- the church rather is a socially constructed system as opposed to being a divinely ordained institution that originally in, that originated in the mind of God, you can twist it and morph it and shape it in anything you want. I'm going to, I'm mm-hmm. going to expand on that later. But again, number one, point number one, and the five point progression of evangelical deconstruction deconstructionism is this. Number one is to embrace and posit the Derridian idea that the church is a socially constructed system not a divinely ordained idea that originated in the mind of God. That's number one. And as Virgil 
rather adroitly and accurately said, the fir- the next four points are subsumed under that. The, the, you got to get number one. Get number one, and then you'll understand these next four. Point number two, assume that this socially constructed system is designed to be exclusive of certain intersectional identities, traditions, and behaviors. Okay, that's number two. Number one, you embrace the idea that the church is a socially constructed system. Number two, you assume that this socially constructed system is designed to be exclusive of certain intersectional identities, traditions, and behaviors, such as LGBTQ, etc. Point number three in the five-point progression of evangelical deconstructionism. Number three, identify subjective points or cracks in that socially constructed system that have failed and in the estimation of the deconstructionists need to be fixed or reconstructed. That's point number three. Identify subjective points or cracks in that socially constructed system that have failed and in the estimation of the deconstructionists that need to be fixed or reconstructed. Okay, so that's point three. Point number four. Point number four in this five point progression of evangelical deconstructionism is to apply. Apply a hermeneutic of suspicion to that socially constructed system so that anyone who is even remotely associated or connected to that system is by default deemed untrustworthy, Mm -hmm. deemed an enemy. Okay. Apply a hermeneutic of suspicion, a hermeneutic of suspicion to that socially constructed system so that anyone who is even remotely connected to it is by default, Deemed untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then lastly, number five in this five point progression of evangelical deconstructionism, reconstruct that socially constructed system, in this case, the church into the image and likeness of the culture with a culturally acceptable theology, soteriology, anthropology, homodiology, and eschatology. Okay. Number five, you reconstruct, that socially constructed system. In this case, that socially constructed system is the church. You reconstruct that into the image and likeness of the culture with a culturally acceptable theology, soteriology, anthropology, homodiology, and eschatology. Mm -hmm. So you embrace, you assume, you identify, you apply, you reconstruct. That's evangelical deconstruction in a nutshell across those five points. What you got, Omaha? Wow, 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 wow. Brother, that was absolutely outstanding. Those five things, man, you could just you could hang your hat on and just look at what look at what we're encountering in church culture, examine it and go, yep, 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 yep. And then you know exactly what you're dealing with mm-hmm. and, and you can walk away from it. So that that was powerfully done, succinctly done. And I think probably of, of what we've walked through so far, probably one of the most helpful tools uh, that I think will come out of our time together. As, as I watched you kind of navigate that, I began in my mind thinking about uh, where do we see reconstruction? If I'm a pastor uh, at, a, at a church 
uh, and, and I'm dealing with this. I'm having young people, uh, per- perhaps grown folk, uh, come to me with these ideas about deconstructing their faith, deconstructing uh, issues of, of church culture, deconstructing uh, uh, formerly held orthodox uh, ecclesi- uh, ecclesiology, uh, for- formerly held orthodox anthropology, for- and they're, they're trying to deconstruct things. Where, where should I take them in the scripture to help them see deconstruction at work? And I immediately, brother, I immediately in my mind went back. So I'm going to ask our listeners to grab your Bible because because I'm uh, uh, we get, we're getting ready to turn some turn pages. pages. Yep. Let's turn we, some pages. We're getting ready to turn some pages. So so grab your Bible. I, I want you to see deconstruction at work. And so so that you don't think this is a this is a new fad. This is a new kick. This is a new anything. I want you to I want you to see how scripture is sufficient to address the issues of deconstruction. And, and, and expose you to what it looks like biblically. Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. And we're we're, we're going we're gonna to examine the first deconstructionist here in Genesis chapter 3. Let's do it, B. Gen- Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 reads this way. In, 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 the, ele- in the elect standard version, of course. So <laughs> oh, of, let me, course. <laughs> of course. Of course, I had to get that Ooh. in. So it says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Let's stop. The serpent was crafty, right? We're looking at, at the serpent who is crafty, and he's using his craftiness in a way that, that, is, that is against, that stands against, that stands in opposition to what God, is going to, what God has done. We read that in the very next verse. He, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Well, what is what is the serpent doing? God, God has already spoken mm-hmm, on this matter. Mm-hmm. What's the serpent doing? Come on, doing? V, come on, man. The, 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 the serpent is deconstructing <laughs> the very word of God, is he not? Is that is that not what he's Bro, doing in this, come on, in this instance? Come on, V. He's deconstructing the word of God. And, and, and then what, what happens? The woman says to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said that you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now here she is adding to the word of God. So, so th- th- there's, some, there's some deconstructing elements. She's designed to, to meet the serpent where he's at, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so you see the deconstruction taking place. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. So he totally disregards the word of God. Yep. And, in it, and in its place is going to reconstruct his own idea about what's to take place. And here's his reconstruction, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took its fruit and ate and also gave some to her dumb husband. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, hold on, man. Now you reconstruct. <laughs> I'm reconstructing. Let me, let me slow down. <laughs> <laughs> she ate his fruit gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate both of and then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths so here they are after recognizing their their sinfulness 
They're trying to fix the problem with a man-made uh, 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 corrective, if you will. Yeah. Right? Their, their man-made corrective is to sow fig leaves as if God is not going to know everything that's taken place. Right. Uh, as as if as if this reconstruction is now somehow going to fix what they've actually destroyed right. as a part of the process. Let me take you to another place in the scripture. Yo, yo, can, can, can I can I can I butt in here real quick? Go ahead, be, go ahead, be, go ahead, go ahead. Before you leave Genesis three, I just find it interesting, man, that that in all in all of his uh, attempts to deconstruct God's command and what God had already said, three times, man, between Genesis three one. In Genesis 3, 5, there's one word in that exchange between the yep. serpent and Eve that th- there's one word that the serpent didn't deconstruct. And that's the word God. God. <laughs> Absolutely. The serpent refers to God by his name three times. Mm-hmm. And yet mm-hmm. Eve still didn't get it. She still didn't no. get it. Go ahead, bro. No. Well, let's look at the second Adam and how he does in Matthew chapter 4. How does he respond to deconstruction in Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, uh, reads this way. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So we're talking about Jesus, also known as the second Adam, Mm -hmm. right? He's led into the wilderness, tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, that same serpent, came to him and said, "If If you are the Son of God, what is he trying to do there? Mm -hmm. Yep, trying to deconstruct. He's trying. He's trying to deconstruct. If you are the son mm-hmm. of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Well, how did, how did, how did Jesus respond? Mm-hmm. But he answered, it is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil t- took him to a holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, what is he trying to do? Mm-hmm. He's trying to, he's trying to deconstruct the truth, the truth is, is there's no if to right. it. He, that, he is the son right. of God, and the devil knows this. Right. He knows this. Right. This is an attempt uh, hoping that, 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 that a weakened Lord will, will, will succumb to the pressures of, of having fasted for such a long period of time. And so here's the temptation. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So now what is he doing? He's actually using the word of God in an effort to deconstruct the situation. Right. Right. right? right. So, so, so there's the, the false, the false use of God's word. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. Evangelical tone, police alert, evangelical tone, police alert. You know, I just find that Jesus was really rude to the devil here. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, absolutely. Jesus was really rude because Jesus didn't say please. Yeah, Jesus didn't say Jesus, pretty pretty please with sugar on Jesus, top. Jesus didn't say please. Jesus didn't place. He didn't say please to the devil not one time. He didn't say please, Mm-mm. please. But see, you don't understand. Don't you understand that man should not live by bread right. alone? Don't you understand? Right. Don't you understand that uh, that that I, that it's not that's not if I'm the son of God, I am the son of God. Don't you understand? Right. Please, please try right. to understand. See, G, G, rear, rear, rear. see, G, see the evangelical tone police when, when the, they probably having a fit right now, verse about what right, you're walking right. us through. 
There's no please. There's no thank you. There's no pretty please. There's none of right. that. And here's 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 the thing. The word of God was sufficient to such a degree that he didn't. It, it, the tone was irrelevant right. to the truth. Right. Exactly. Tone was irrelevant. Tone was irrelevant to, to the truth. Exactly. Uh, it, it, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, verse eight. The devil takes him to a high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he says to him, "All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me." And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, listen to this, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And, and when, I, when I read that, I, as you unpack those pieces of the puzzle and walked us through even the five points of evangelical deconstructionism, I immediately had to turn in my mind. We had we had mentioned earlier uh, Ecclesiastes one nine, which said, "There's nothing new under under under, under mm-hmm. the sun. There's yep. nothing new uh, in heaven." So I, I thought this this isn't new. Yep. So how far back does it go? Well, this idea <laughs> from Satan himself goes all the way back to the very beginning, yep. and we have to recognize that. That's what I got, bro. bro. That was absolutely brilliant exposition, man. Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant, bro. I, I really appreciate you doing that. And, and you know, it just reminds me, man. Of what we do when, when we're when we're traveling, whether it's, whether it's together or separate, what, what we want folks that we, we we have an opportunity to dialogue with, especially in person, is to understand. When I tell people, and I say this in all humility, I really do. When I tell people that the Just Thinking podcast is different, mm-hmm. that the Just Thinking podcast is unique, the reason our episode and, and and in talking to them, I say one of the first things I say to them is that the Just Thinking podcast is an expository, long form podcast, and I let them know we've got episodes that are three, three and a half hours long. But the reason for that is what you just did. The reason for that, what you just did, is an example why our episodes are as lengthy as they are. When we sit down behind the microphone, we set a recording date, say, okay, we're going to record an episode on on X date. We don't say, well, let's block out five hours. We don't say that. We don't Hmm. we, we don't block out a certain amount of time and then record into that block of time. What we do, we independently, you and I independently of one another, we take the topic, we go off, we do our own study and research. We put everything together and however much time it takes, that's how much time it takes. But but we are an expositional podcast. We are an expositional, exegetical podcast where we pick up and do exactly what Virgil did. Literally turn pages. He just literally took a few minutes there, turned some pages, went from Genesis to Matthew and walked you through how this idea of deconstruction didn't begin with Jacques Derrida. Jacques Derrida just took the baton from the serpent. That's what he did. This is this is a, just just and, and I used to run track in school, so I'm 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 familiar with how handing off batons is supposed to go in a relay race. You got a mm-hmm. you got a uh, you got a spiritual uh, four hundred meter relay race going on. Satan mm-hmm. Satan is at the starting block. He takes off. You got Jacques Derrida. Running the second leg of the relay, he just took the handoff of the baton from from the serpent. That's all Jacques Derrida did. Now you got a cat who we're about to quote right now, who took the baton from Derrida, and that person is one of the most vocal and outspoken proponents. 
one of the most vocal and outspoken advocates of deconstructionism with evangelical today, evangelicalism today. And that person is the Christian rapper who goes by the name Lecrae. Mm-hmm. Lecrae is one of the most vocal and outspoken advocates of deconstructionism within evangelicalism today. Now, for the evangelical tone police, let me put a disclaimer out there. Because I don't want y'all listening to this section that we're about to run through right now and just set off your sirens going, well, that's not loving. Y'all weren't really loving. Why y'all being mean to Lecrae? No. <laughs> Well, what, I'm, what we're about to walk you through right here, we're not. it's not nothing personal. I've never met Lecrae. I've never spoken to the brother. But the fact remains, if you take your feelings out of it, the fact remains that Lecrae is arguably, I'm sorry, unarguably, Lecrae is unarguably the most vocal proponent of deconstruction within evangelicalism today. In a recent interview with the Christian Post, Lecrae said this, quote, Deconstruction is not a bad thing if it leads to reconstruction. Sometimes you have to demolish a building that is mold infested. See, there's that building metaphor again. Sometimes you have to demolish a building that is mold infested and then build something else on that foundation. We're not getting rid of the foundation. The foundation is Christ, but we're building on that foundation and tearing it down and tearing down some things that were unnecessary. So Lecrae, that's unquote, by the way. Uh, by the way, if you're if you're if you demolish a building that is mold infested, you don't want to build on that same foundation. You want to get rid of that foundation along with everything else. Mm-hmm. But Lecrae is using again, he's using that metaphor of a building that we already walked you through before to say that there's nothing wrong with deconstruction as long as it leads to reconstruction. Now, I'm going to come back to that quote from Lecrae. But before I go any further, I want to comment on something he said there. Because it needs attention. When Lecrae says, quote, the foundation is Christ, unquote, there is context that needs to be added so that we understand what scripture teaches about that. Scripture teaches that the, quote, foundation, unquote, of the church is not Christ, but the apostles and the prophets, which is to say the foundation of the church is the doctrine that the apostles and prophets taught with Christ as the cornerstone of that doctrinal foundation. Okay, this is very important. That's good. That's good. That's good. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets and the doctrine that they taught. But Christ is the cornerstone of that foundation. Now, we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, where the apostle Paul writes this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, that is the church. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, so that's very, this is very important for us to to correct here. I get what Lecrae is saying when he says that the foundation of Christ is Christ, but that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches us that the foundation of the church is the doctrine that the apostles and prophets taught and that Christ is the cornerstone of that doctrinal foundation. The the French reformer John Calvin, he helps us greatly here, greatly here in his commentary on Ephesians 2.20 in which he writes this, quote, The word foundation in this passage, that is the word foundation in Ephesians 2.20, 
unquestionably means doctrine. For no mention is made of patriarchs or pious kings, but only of those who held the office of teachers and whom God had appointed to superintend the edification of his church. It is laid down by Paul that the faith of the church ought to be founded on this doctrine, but the manner in which it is founded deserves inquiry. For in the strict sense of the term, Christ is the only foundation. He alone supports the whole church. He alone is the rule and standard of faith. But, okay, but Calvin says, Christ is actually the foundation on which the church is built by the preaching of doctrine. Okay. And on this account, Calvin says, the prophets and apostles are called builders. That's 1 Corinthians 3.10. Nothing else, Paul tells us, was ever intended by the prophets and apostles and, and apostles than to found a church on Christ, unquote. Now, why is that so important for us to understand? Well, it's important for us to understand because for someone like Lecrae to say, quote, we're not getting rid of the foundation. The foundation is Christ, unquote. The truth is you can't separate Christ from the doctrine upon which his church is built. And deconstruction does precisely that. Deconstruction uh, endeavors to separate Christ's church from the doctrine that the church is founded upon. The great 20th century Welsh expositor, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in a sermon titled The Only Foundation, said this, quote, The foundation in the last analysis is the teaching of the apostles and prophets, their doctrine. They taught, of course, what they believed themselves. They gave expression to the faith that they exercised. So the two things really become one. And therefore, this is the vital thing for us to understand and to grasp at a time like this. What makes us members of the church, what makes us part of this great temple, this wonderful edifice that is being built, is our faith. It is our acceptance of the teaching, the doctrine. Now, this is the thing that is basic and fundamental. My dear friend, listen to this. Lord Jones, what, what I'm about to quote from Lord Jones is 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 crucial okay Lloyd Jones says my dear friend whether you and I like it or not Christianity is a most intolerant faith hmm. whether you like it or not that's good that's good Christianity is a most most intolerant faith it says that this and this alone is right and is true there is no other gospel in other words mm -hmm. the only basis of unity today as it was in the early church, is the apostolic message. And whatever men may think or say, we must assert this. It's not my opinion or anyone else's opinion that matters. What does the word teach? What did the apostles teach? I know nothing apart from that. It isn't modern. Listen to this. And Lloyd-Jones closes out this section with this. It isn't modern knowledge or modern research or modern understanding or modern ideas of God. It's what these men taught. That's the only gospel, unquote. So in other words, what Lloyd-Jones is saying here is that the church and its doctrine are not mutually exclusive. You see, Omaha, 
The evangelical deconstructionists will always claim that they're, quote, not getting rid of Christ, unquote. They'll always claim that. They have to say that so that they don't risk ostracizing themselves from their core evangelical fans and followers. But what does saying that you're not getting rid of the foundation, the foundation of Christ, what does that even mean? And what weight does that carry or hold apart from the doctrine, which Christ, as Calvin said, superintended his apostles and prophets to preach and conversely to teach to his church? Now, I pose that question because the real target of deconstruction, particularly as it relates to the evangelical church, is its doctrine. That is the fundamental target of deconstruction, is the doctrine of the church. But allow me to be even clearer. And evangelical tone police, I want you to hold your ears closer to the speaker as you're listening here. <laughs> the target of deconstruction is to deconstruct traditional biblical orthodoxy. And in evangelical deconstructionism, okay, in the deconstructionism of people like Lecrae, which is, largely, which is largely grounded in cultural Marxism, biblical orthodoxy is merely another term for white evangelicalism. Yes. Okay? Yes. So I, I'm going to repeat that. I want to make sure because I don't yes. want our listeners to think I stuttered when I said what I just said. Mm-hmm. The target of evangelical deconstructionism, which is largely grounded in cultural Marxism, is biblical orthodoxy. That's the target. And in evangelical deconstructionism, biblical orthodoxy is merely another way of saying white evangelicalism. That's really what we're talking about here, Omaha, if you really want to be honest. Let's not even pretend that that's not what is meant by the phrase, quote, American Christian culture, unquote, that Lecrae uses. I can pretty much guarantee you that in criticizing, quote, American Christian culture, unquote, Lecrae isn't talking about professing Christians who look like him or of churches that are primarily comprised of people who look like him. He's not talking about them. So when you deconstruct orthodoxy, when you deconstruct orthodoxy, that is doctrine, you can then reconstruct orthopraxy. That is the practice, okay? So that the church becomes less resemblant of what you don't like about it and becomes more resemblant of what you want to look like which in the case of evangelical deconstructionists means being less white and more brown and black, not just ethnically with respect to melanin or skin color, but also culturally. Okay. All the while still claiming that you're not getting rid of Christ as the foundation. So let's just keep it real. This is really the goal of evangelical deconstructionists of people like Lecrae. They are, they are speaking in terms of a cultural Marxist, uh, ecclesiology wherein the church becomes less white and more black and brown. That's really what we're dealing here. That's the goal. Okay. Now I'm going to expand on that with another quote from Lecrae in a, in a, in a few moments. But before I do that, uh, I want to turn it over to you, Omaha, from, from, from some thoughts that you might have. So what, what you got, man? There's a ton, man. I love the last part that you just walked through because it, at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. Uh, it's about deconstructing what, what Lecrae and others who think like him see as white evangelicalism. Exactly. That, exactly. That's, that's what they want to deconstruct. They, have, they don't have two words to say to black and brown churches about anything. Nope. 
and if you ask them about it, they'll, they'll, they'll turn another, they'll turn they'll turn their nose another direction. They will go so far as to promote a black pastor in Atlanta who claims to be pro-abortion, <laughs> who 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 advocates for 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 abortion and 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 made his way into the Senate. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. I know you're talking about you're talking about Raphael Warnock. Yeah, yeah. They, they they will they will they will they will ignore scripture and its clear teachings about issues of life for the sake of someone who is black who looks like them. Yep. And and holds and holds a a banner for this crazy idea around social justice. Yep. They'll turn the other way. They don't have two words to say about that. This is this is kind of the the, the lunacy of what goes on in these kinds of circles. I think the last thing you said. Uh, when you talked about that, the goal uh, of, of them is, is to change, is to have less white churches and more black and brown. And I love the fact that you said has nothing to do with ethnicity or melanin nope. or skin color. Yep. It has everything to do with culturally, because according to them, you and I aren't really black. Right. We're not black. You, 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 you no. In fact, we, we, we could be labeled white supremacists and ha- at the end of the and day. And have been. And have been labeled and that. And have been. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's what this is all about. That's what the deconstruction of the credit. And again, I, I, think you, I think you set the table well when you said this is not necessarily about Lecrae as a person, but it is an effort to address his ideas. Bingo. Because unlike, unlike others who are holding to the idea of deconstruction, there are, there are many others. We're deconstructing our faith. We're leaving the faith. We're... I respect those who, who quote unquote deconstruct and actually leave the faith that they once held called Christian. I, you hate to see anybody, uh, uh, you know, leave Christianity. But at the end of the day, if you're going to deconstruct and try to reconstruct something that is not Christian, is not biblical, is not orthodox, I'd rather you at least be honest about the fact that you're walking away from orthodox Christianity than to lay claim in the way that Lecrae is doing that you are deconstructing and holding on to some form of orthodox or biblical Christianity. That's the problem that we have here with what he's doing. And I hadn't even started my notes. That was all extra. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, got to pull you over. Got to pull you over, bro. Time for another tone ticket because you're guilty of attacking the ideas that that Lecrae uh, professes. And in, in, in evangelical tonism, that's the same as attacking the guy personally. So uh, you get a ticket anyway. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> you can't win, what, bro. What, 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 what am I up to now? Am I up to that's three, three tickets that's, at least? That's three man? tickets. Okay. The next one, you're about to get your license suspended, dude. That's what's going <laughs> on. <laughs> you're, close, you're close to not being able to drive at all. <laughs> I'm going to have my license revoked. Is that how this <laughs> yes, works? Sir. Good night. Well, I, I want to go back to what he talked about when he talked about the, the building, that, that it's okay to, you know, when you find a building and it has mold in it, mm-hmm. you, know, you tear it down to the foundation. My question is what, uh, I mean, and you laid out perfectly, again, exegetically, what the what the actual foundation is, which is the apostles and the prophets, mm-hmm. and, and what the actual cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, which is 
Christ and him crucified. That's the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves a question. Is the word of God and or, 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 or the church itself, is that what's mold infested in given his analogy? What, what exactly is the mold? Right. Yep. What specifically mm-hmm. is the mold? And I and I think you actually nailed it. In his mind, the mold is anything that that that, that is whiteness. Yep. Right. And we did a whole episode on what whiteness is mm-hmm. and how to define whiteness. And so and we, and we did. And, and and yeah. So, so, man, I was so excited about you bringing that up. I went ahead and interrupted you, man. My bad. But mm-hmm. go ahead. But, go ahead. Go but ahead. I just want to say, really, in the, in the episode that we did on whiteness, uh, and I just like you just did, I encourage our listeners to go back and check that out. In whiteness, we gave you a very succinct definition of what whiteness is. Whiteness mm-hmm. is anything that is not blackness. Absolutely. Whiteness is, is Absolutely. anything, and I mean anything that is not blackness. Go ahead, V. And, and we're not talking about skin color no, alone. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Culture, a variety yeah. of things that you need to go back and look, look at. Absolutely. The, the, the truth is, brother, I doubt that Lecrae is aware of all the things that we've even laid out in this particular episode. And by that, what I mean is, as you went back to the origins of Derrida, I mean, we've talked about Foucault, we've talked about, I mean, you, you, you've referenced a number of different uh, thinkers, uh, their ideas around uh, deconstructionism. I, I, I'm curious, given the nature of what he's talking about, specifically with the reconstruction of his faith, if he is actually, if he is actually even aware of the content that we've covered in this particular episode. I actually doubt that he is given given the, the the definitions that you've laid out the examples that we've provided the historic context not not only Lecrae but few others who actually hold to this this nuanced idea this nouveau idea of of deconstructionism actually are aware of the kinds of things that we've walked through uh, during during the time that we've engaged in this episode and, and the, the other thought I had was as it pertains to the keys of the kingdom which is entrance uh, through the, which entrance actually the doors of the church actually open entrance into the kingdom mm-hmm. who in their right mind gave Lecrae these keys like where did Lecrae <laughs> think that he had the keys to the kingdom uh, that's a great question are absolutely bro. amazing that's a great right? question man that's good that's good again my point is not to single him out as much as as to address not only him and his ideas but all of those that he influences, who think like him, who are saying the same things that he's saying, all the while claiming to still be Christian. This is absolutely unbelievable. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. But again, according to Lecrae, uh, it was a good start, Jesus. And, <laughs> and Lecrae is going to pick it up from here and uh, he's going to keep it moving. Right. That's that. That's actually what he's saying uh, in, in, in no uncertain terms. Again, I have to go back to who in the world these people actually think they are. Man, I'll say more about this on the back end. I, I really want to go back to uh, the origins of this deconstruction. A lot of it had to do with an with an event that you and I watched unfold as all of this social justice stuff mm-hmm. uh, took place with uh, with 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 uh, Mr. Kathy from uh, from Chick Fil A yeah. and 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 you know shining his shoes yep. and kind of the, the the backlash of all of that. That's, that's again, Lecrae got asked, and, and I'm, I'm going to cite this later. Uh, Lecrae got asked about that episode as the backlash unfolded. 
uh, and he said that that his interaction with with uh, with Dan Cathy and, uh, and and that whole thing with with uh, with Giglio was really the, the 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 catalyst that caused him to really think about the deconstruction of his faith. I, I don't want you to take my words for it. I'm actually going to quote Lecrae in his own words uh, so that you can see the origins of this. I think it's important to look at origins mm-hmm. of people's decisions to move in a particular direction so that you can understand w- what's motivating mm-hmm. it, where it comes from, and 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 examine that against the backdrop of what Scripture has to say about these issues. I'll turn things back over to you, man. Thanks, bro. I appreciate that, V. You know, I mentioned earlier that there was another quote from Lecrae that I wanted to exposit for our listeners for the sake of context, okay? That quote, I'm I'm about to cite it right now. This quote is from an interview that Lecrae did with WGEN Radio in which he said this, quote, I went through reconstruction and that's what a lot of people don't talk about. They missed that one. The Christian culture in America, keep that phrase in mind, the Christian culture in America specifically will kind of force itself on you and say, well, you have to talk like this and you have to dress like this. If you don't assimilate and kind of move this way, then people are going to side eye you. I've just been really comfortable in my skin. There's no way you can say I'm not a follower of Christ, but I don't fit certain molds and that's okay. And if you do, that's okay. When I say churchy, that doesn't mean I don't like fellowshipping with believers. But when I say churchy, it means there's a certain, there's cultures in churches that I just don't really fall in line with. There's certain things that are done that it's not my thing. And that's okay as long as you follow Christ, unquote. Again, that was from an interview that Lecrae did with WGEN Radio. Now, the first thing I'd like our listeners to take note of, Omaha, is that Lecrae doesn't define what he means by, quote, Christian culture in America, unquote. He never defines that, okay? Although he says, he uses the word specifically. He says the Christian culture in America specifically. Now, I get it. He's talking about in America specifically, uh, the, the, the nation of America, the church in America the borders of the United States of America, but he still doesn't define what Christian culture in America is. And notwithstanding that he then proceeds to make general statements about his, about what is wrong with quote Christian culture in America, unquote. He, he, he makes general, very generic, very vanilla statements about what he sees as problematic. In Christian culture in America. But I think it's safe to assume that his criticisms are not aimed at what is commonly referred to as the quote black church unquote or black ecclesiology. Notice also that Lecrae's criticisms of Christian culture in the church are not all framed within the subject. They're they're all they are all framed rather. His criticisms of Christian culture in America are all framed within the subjective personal experience and epistemology of himself and what he's gone through. Okay. And yet, so, so he's taking what he says is his personal epistemological reality and arguing that that reality is the reality for all the church. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yet at the end of all his criticism of the Christian culture in America, he has the temerity to say that that's all fine. As long as you follow Christ. Right. So when you examine Lecrae's comments closely, what you'll find is that they indicate that he's bought in 
to each of the five points I noted earlier, each of the five points of, of the progression of Egypt evangelical deconstruction that I noted earlier. Lecrae has embraced the idea that the church is a socially constructed system. He's assumed that that socially constructed system is designed to be exclusive of certain people and identities because he says, well, if you don't talk like this, you have to talk this way, you got to dress that way. So he's embraced point one. He, I'm sorry, he's, 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 uh, he's uh, uh, basically uh, 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 bought into point one where he's embraced the idea that the church is a socially constructed system. He assumes that that system is designed to be exclusive. And then number three, he, sub- he has identified points or cracks in that socially constructed system that need to be fixed. Then number four, he's applied a hermeneutic of suspicion. Yes. To that socially yes. constructed system. And then number five, he's arguing for reconstructing that deconstructed system in his own image and likeness. He's guilty of yes. all five. He is guilty yes. of all five. And that, listeners, before the evangelical tone police start stoning us, that is though th- th- that the latter point that I'm talking about here is why I walked you through Lecrae's own words. It's nothing personal. I don't know anything right. about him. But that we're such uh, we're so sensitive. We're so so emotional. We're such feelings yes. oriented in the church. Now we don't argue on the basis of ideas. We don't no. debate ideas because we don't know how to think. All we do is know how to feel. So we, we our, our feelings tell us that even thinking critically about these ideas is mean and unloving. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get accused of that mm-hmm. in this episode, I'm sure. But you know what, listeners? I don't care. I don't right. care. Here you have a guy who has a very influential platform, and God, God bless him for it. More power to you. But here he is. If you really exegete yes. his way of thinking, you can objectively say that he is guilty of all five of these five points of evangelical deconstructionism. What you got, V? And here's, here's what else you can say. You can say that way of thinking has nothing whatsoever to do with Christianity. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. Zero. So the, the, the beginning of his quote where he says, there's no way you can say that I'm not a follower of Christ. I, w- I would put an asterisk by that. Mm. I, I, I really would, because I think it's time that we begin asking questions when we see behavior that does not consistently, especially after having been confronted, consistently does not reflect what Scripture says uh, about how we should respond and act to our brother. It, it, we absolutely should do this. Um, he says in that quote, he says, I don't fit certain molds and that's okay. Again, that's a presupposition. Yes. Like who, who said you should, right. like, what are you talking right. about? No, 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 there's no expectation by anybody. And, 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 and again, if you operate from a hermeneutic of suspicion there you go. every time, there you go. You're going to look at the way people interact with you in a suspicious manner right. rather than in, in the manner that, that, that Scripture says how, how we should have love for our brothers and, and have a, have an un, uh, operate in an understanding way with those who are believers. We, 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 we need to think through those, those pieces and, of, of Scripture and, and examine. Go ahead, brother. And v, Go ahead. V, let me say this on, along the lines of that, that phrase, hermeneutic of suspicion. It, it really is more accurately it should really be more accurately termed a, a hermeneutic of condemnation because the person who applies a hermeneutic of suspicion, they've already condemned that Absolutely. person. They've Absolutely. already condemned the church. Absolutely. They've already judged. Yeah. They've already condemned that person. They've already condemned that individual. They've already condemned that, that church because they're not fitting in within the mold as Lecrae is alluding to. They are not fitting into that mold 
the suspicion is not just a suspicion. It's a condemnation. Right. They've already progressed from, from suspicion to condemnation. And we need to see that. And that's when they, when they go from suspicion to condemnation, they then argue for separation. They then argue yes, for separation. Absolutely. The solution, absolutely. the solution is separation, not reconciliation, not regeneration. No, absolutely. It's separation. That's huge. That's huge. What you just said is huge. When he says, uh, he says, when I say churchy, and then he says, that doesn't mean you know, I don't like fellowshipping with believers. Well, we still don't know what churchy actually means. Right. So he, has to, he doesn't give context to anything. No. No, and, and and so all of the all of the words and phraseology is is th- there are presuppositions that are that are embedded in them uh, that that he knows having said the churchy. Well, I, I my people know what that means. Yeah. Well, what does what does it mean? What does it mean so that those who are <laughs> acting that way can respond and, and and either change their behavior if it, if that's sinful and necessary. Or, or provide a corrective to you as to, no, that's not churchy, that's biblical, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much in here. Yeah. And again, one of the things, I, I won't go through each word. I, I will simply say that, that what you did with that content is exactly what each one of us should do. You, you exegeted every aspect. That's what we're doing. We're exegeting what's being said. We're not going on emotion mm-hmm. or, hey, I like that guy mm-hmm. or, hey, he, he looks like me, mm-hmm. so that should mean something to me. What we're doing is we're examining the words that are being said against the backdrop of what Scripture has to say about this subject matter. So that that's that's the one thing that that I wanted to I wanted to lead off it with. I, I, while 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 Lecrae makes the statement that that we can't say he you know that we can that we we cannot say rather that he's a he's a he's not a follower of Christ. What we can say is this: that if you hate your brother, you are a murderer, uh, and if and and you will have no place in the kingdom of God. And those kinds of things should cause you, Lecrae, to examine yourself, to see if you are indeed in the faith. I will, I will with, with, with biblical clarity say that. Now, what, what, what was the catalyst for, the, uh, for a lot of this deconstruction? He was on this path to begin with. Yeah. But again, according to him and based upon his own words, uh, the, the interaction with him and Dan Cathy uh, was really the catalyst that, that started that process. There was, there was uh, back, back right after the George Floyd incident, there was a 70-minute conversation between uh, uh, Giglio Lecrae uh, and Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy at Giglio's Passion City Church. Uh, here in Atlanta, uh, that this event was supposed to bring awareness uh, to racial inequity in America and and to Giglio's majority white evangelical congregation and followers. And again, I'm I'm reading actually from an article that was that was posted uh, in the the Washington Post uh, as it as it states. Um, it, it says this quote: "We understand Giglio. Uh, rather, uh, uh, this is Dan Cathy. Dan Cathy is speaking here, uh, and he says this." Or, Excuse me, let me let me clear that up. Uh, Giglio is speaking here. He says this, quote, We understand the curse that was slavery. White people do, Giglio said. And we say that it was bad. But we miss the blessing of slavery that is actually built, that are actually built upon the framework for the world that white people live in, end quote. As Giglio spoke, Lecrae nodded up and down. And later in the program, Kathy, who is an evangelical Christian, walked over to Lecrae and shined the rapper's, the, the rapper's white sneakers as a sign of humility, then offered him a hug. And in response, Lecrae asked the Chick-fil-A uh, a CEO for stock options while laughing, end quote. Now, this is, what, this is what transpired because 
out of that Giglio's statement, which is that that the that the curse of slavery, that whites need to understand the curse of slavery, but they also need to understand the blessing of slavery was a statement that was made that got a lot of that got a lot of backlash. And Lecrae was actually pinged by his constituency for having sat down with, quote unquote, white evangelicals to begin with. Mm-hmm. And the thought process behind the thought process behind that was how can you sit with them and see when you do when you do engage them this is what they come up with now Lecrae t- it, it took the heat and said you know what he needed to rethink interactions that he had in white evangelical settings he he says that he recognizes that what happened was was it was a turn of phrase that Giglio meant well by that 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 there was that that the good that there was a lot of work and energy and effort from blacks that benefited whites uh, that they need to be aware of as well as they need to be aware of the ho- the, the horrifying treatment uh, that slavery engaged in but but uh, allow me again to quote Lecrae because I want you to hear him in his own words mm-hmm. he says this quote for four or five four or five years ago I began to speak very publicly about the racial about racial injustice I was met with silence or discord by white evangelicals a lot of my shows were canceled and people just refused to support me I was kind of flabbergasted my family and I took a financial hit and I had to I had to kind of deconstruct my faith and reconstruct it. There's some historical trauma in in that space that I'm still navigating, end quote. And so here's here's how he responded. There's a lot that's there, but I I want you to hear his words Mm -hmm. fully. He says this, quote, I had to stop listening to the leaders I was listening to, including evangelical leaders, and find new leaders of color, that I could hear from a new perspective. I needed to understand how my faith and my ethnicity merged together. It was harder to understand that in these predominantly white spaces, end quote. Hmm. So he, so here he is trying to deconstruct what he sees as white evangelical uh, racism, white supremacy, uh, a, a, a bad view from a from a quote unquote racial perspective. And the way to fix it is, is not to go and examine scripture or to deal with things as uh, if, if he felt like someone sinned against him. And he even said that he didn't feel like Giglio did anything wrong. He understood where he was coming from. But he uses that and his emotionalism and his and his ethnocentric point of view to to deconstruct his faith in an effort to reconstruct it, not according to scripture, Mm -hmm. but he's looking at the intersection of ethnicity and quote unquote his faith to determine where he needs to land. And that is absolutely problematic. I'll I'll, I'll turn things back over to you. Excellent point. V. you know, in, in sort of um, digesting and reflecting on what you said, because what, what Lecrae is basically saying, he's again, he is presenting, an argument uh, that the church uh, as an entity, as an institution should uh, be built upon a personal epistemology of experience and not on, not on Christ. Now, understanding that I wanted to mention that because I want to quote something here from the Puritan uh, James Bannerman, the Scottish Puritan James Bannerman, who lived from 1607 to 1668. Bannerman wrote a book that we've cited multiple times on the Just Thinking Podcast, and it's titled The Church of Christ. In that book, there's a chapter titled The Church is a Divine and Spiritual Institution. Now, I want to cite from this chapter because that is the paradigm through which all of us need to be 
understanding the church, what its mission is and why it exists. We have to understand uh, that the church is a divine and spiritual institution. It is not a sociocultural institution. It is not a social construct. Okay. As we've uh, uh, to this point in the episode uh, made clear that evangelical deconstructionists view it. Evangelical deconstructionists view the church as a social construct. But Bannerman is arguing here that the church, no, is a, is a divine and spiritual institution. In his book, The Church of Christ, Bannerman says this, James Bannerman says this, quote, The church is a divine institution, owing its origin not to man, but to Christ, and associated together, not in consequence of human arrangement, but by Christ's appointment. No doubt there is a foundation laid in the very nature of the religion which Christ came to promulgate for the union of his disciples in one body or society. The faith which each man holds for the salvation of his own soul is a faith which joins him to every other believer. Now, let me pause here. Now, why is that important? When Bannerman says the faith which each which each man holds for the salvation of his own soul is also a faith which joins him to every believer. Why is that important? Because someone like Lecrae is arguing for separation. Mm, he's, yes. he's, he's arguing for separation. He says, well, a, a, a church where I don't fit in, that's fine. I'll just go somewhere where I do fit in. So, the, so like I said, the solution for the person who views the church as a social construct and who in doing that has adopted a hermeneutic of suspicion Suspicion, yes. The only yes. direction they can go in is separation. The only yes. direction they can yes. go in is separation. And that, by definition, is not even the church anymore. That is Absolutely. why it is important for you to understand what Bannerman is saying here. The faith which each man's hold for the salvation of his own soul is a faith which joins him to every other believer, not separates him. Mm-hmm. Faith in Christ joins us. But see what someone like Lecrae is arguing. Well, if you don't fit, if your church doesn't fit my mold, I can't join with you. Uh-huh. I can't join with you. So he's made it. He, he's he's in his own solar system now. He's on his he's he's yes. in his own he's in his own ecclesiastical epistemological solar system where he's the sun, and everyone else revolves around him. Let let me let me ask you Go something ahead, real quick, and I. I, I have you and, and, and I know the answer to this, but but I'm, I'm going to ask it for the listeners, for the sake of the listeners. Have you ever been or spent any time in an all black church setting? Most of my life. Right. For, for, right. for, for, you, for you half my life. Right. You, you and me both. Right. We, we've spent time. We both have. Yes. So let me let me. We both have. Absolutely. So let me ask you those churches that we were in. They were absolutely perfect and without flaw right they were absolutely there were no problems there were no issues there were no challenges it was just it was absolute utopia because we 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 were there everybody looked like us and everything all all of that just every i was dotted every t was yep. crossed everything was wonderful right that's how that all worked that, that's right? exactly it was blacktopia brother it was blacktopia <laughs> Everything was perfect right down to the potlucks, bro, down to the cornbread, collard greens, mashed potatoes, <laughs> potato salad, pig feet, neck bone, fried chicken, everything. I mean, you have to laugh because you and I both know 
that even if you could you could put together this 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 blacktopia of a church you you you're going to run into problems because you you and I showed up right i mean we- <laughs> I mean, because you, you don't even like collard greens. I, I mean, you, so they're going to have a problem right there. I don't even like soul food. Right. So we got a, pro- <laughs> we got a problem right there. Now you're going to have to find another place, find right? Another where there's some blacks, where all, where's all blacks, <laughs> and, they, and all of them hate soul food. Now, you ain't going to find that nowhere, but best of luck to you, right? Bro, I mean, come on. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant what you just did, man. That was absolutely right? brilliant. Absolutely brilliant! Come on, man. Come this is exactly on, man. this is exactly right. This is this is this is uh, this is uh, this what this really is. What what people like Lecrae are really arguing for is ethnic asceticism. And what that what yes. I what I mean by that is that they think that they can go off and separate themselves from believers who they don't like, from churches that they don't like, and that that's going to serve like a force field from other problems that that they're uh that they're uh the, the, the churches that they favor uh w- won't have to deal with so the asceticist says this this is this is what was luther luther's problem luther thought he w- he could go off and be a monk somewhere and not to d- have to deal with his sin nature anymore yes, he, he yes, thought he could yes. do that so what you're making the exact same point that 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 people like lecrae think that they can just go off and participate in some sort of ecclesiastical asceticism where I'm just going to separate myself from these folks who don't fit my mold. And I'm just going to associate with people who do fit my mold and think that he won't have the same problems with that group that he selected. See that that's, yeah, that's blacktopia. Black, blacktopia. blacktopia. That's blacktopia. That's blacktopianism. So you get, you, you get, and, and that's what's so nonsensical about this. The whole idea, this whole idea of blacktopianism. This is see. This is why we want to break down the ideas that Lecrae is propagating here because they make no yes. sense. They're utterly unbiblical. This is why it's yes. so important. What James Bannerman is saying here is that the faith which each man holds for the salvation of his own soul is a faith which joins him to every other believer. Yes, 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 yes. This is what de- evangelical deconstructionism leads to. It leads to evangelical separation. And evangelical separation then becomes an oxymoron because there is no such thing as evangelical separation. Right. You are united in Christ. We're, we're not united in Lecrae. We're united in Christ. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> They're going to get you. But I think that I, that's a ticketable offense right there. Okay, Absolutely I got, I got one. I got offense. one ticket. Oh, that's why one ticket. Yeah, you're not united in Christ, not united in the mm-hmm. crew. That was not. That was not nice, bro. Let me continue. <laughs> <laughs> Let me continue quoting from James Bannerman in his book, The Church of Christ. So Bannerman says that the faith which each man holds for the salvation of his own soul is a faith which joins him to every other believer. Let me pause here again. I, I, sorry, guys, I got to pause here. When Bannerman says that the faith which each man is hold for the salvation of his own soul, see the problem, and I want to speak, speak to this in just a second. The problem, when Bannerman says that the faith which each man holds for the salvation of his own soul is a faith which joins him to every other believer. The problem that people like Lecrae make and other evangelical deconstructionists is that they think that the faith that they hold is a faith of their own making. That's fundamentally the problem that's here. good that's good now yeah, that's it's good. the pot kettle okay it's the potter pot if if lecrae were responsible for the faith that he holds then he'd have every right to deconstruct 
He'd mm-hmm. have every right to do whatever he wants to with it. But see, here's the thing. The professing believer in Christ, and, and Lecrae said this. He said, there's no one who can tell me that I'm not a follower of Christ. Right. Here's the problem, though, right. bro. You didn't have nothing to do with that. So the faith that you hold is not a faith of your own. It is not a That's faith good. of your own making. So you have no right. I'm going to speak on that in a second. But anyway, continue with uh, James Bannerman's quote. He says, the close, the close of mysterious union, which is constituted by faith between him, that is the believer, and his Savior, is a union that connects him through that Savior with every other Christian. In becoming one with Christ, he becomes at the same time, in a certain sense, one with all who are Christ's. The spiritual fellowship that a believer enjoys with his Redeemer is not a solitary or selfish joy, but one which he cannot possess alone or accept in common with other believers. It is the very nature, therefore, of the gospel to be not a solitary religion, but a social one. When Christ, through the mighty operation of his spirit, brings a sinner into reconciliation and communion with himself, he ushers him into also the fellowship of reconciliation and communion with all other Christians. Are you listeners getting this? James Bannerman is absolutely mic dropping you guys from over 400 years ago. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Bannerman continues, when the work of grace is done upon the soul of a man and the barriers of separation between him and his savior are cast down and the sinner who was afar off is brought near to God, the very same work of grace removes the obstacles that hindered his union with other men. Are y'all listening to this? Right, right, right. Listen to this against the backdrop of what Lecrae has been saying. Yes. Bannerman absolutely is destroying the rationale that Lecrae is putting forth. Absolutely destroying it. And in the fellow continuing with continuing to quote Bannerman, and in the fellowship of one faith and one Lord, he discovers a new and mightier bond of attachment and union to his fellow believers. I gotta stop here again. Understand, yes. understand the distinct universes that Lecrae is in and the one that Bannerman is in. Lecrae is arguing for separation. Bannerman is arguing for union. This is un, this is unarguable what Bannerman is saying here. He's absolutely yes. destroying what Lecrae is arguing. Bannerman says and in the fellowship of one faith and one Lord, the believer discovers a new and mightier bond of attachment and union to his fellow believers. Bannerman closes with this. We may assert, therefore, that the Christian society, which we call the Church of Christ, is a society framed by divine appointment. Do you see what Bannerman is saying here? He's arguing against the deconstructionist idea that the church is a social construct. Bannerman is saying is that the church is... Framed by divine appointment, he goes on, even did we see it in nothing more than a body of men brought together by the constraint of the same faith and same affections wrought in them by the spirit of God, unquote. This was absolute. Bannerman is just, they didn't have mics back then, but if they had, we'd still still be dropping them. We'd still be dropping them. 
Now, why did I take the time just now to share that rather lengthy passage from James Bannerman's book, The Church of Christ, with our listeners? Well, I took the time because Bannerman's words serve as a needed reminder to us of two very crucial realities. Number one, that the church is a divine institution, not a social construct. And number two, being a divine institution, the church exists to please the one who instituted, instituted it, namely Jesus Christ. The church does not exist to ameliorate, satiate, or otherwise placate our subjective demands or expectations of what the church should look like or how it should function. Now, what I want people to understand is that when someone like Lecrae criticizes, quote, American Christian culture, unquote, for not fitting a certain type of sociocultural mold, what he's doing is that he's simply arguing for replacing one type of American Christian culture with another type of culture. Only this time, yes. only this time in his mind, that culture would be such that it would merit his own personal approval and endorsement. Don't miss Absolutely. that. This is exactly what Lecrae is arguing for. He's arguing for a type of cur a church that would merit his own personal approval and endorsement. That's exactly what he's doing. And for all his mm -hmm. talk about deconstructing his faith, Lecrae is merely exchanging one cultural mold for a different cultural mold. That's all he's yep. doing. Yep. He's not, he's not providing you with some sort of, uh, it's like we, when we quoted uh, Spurgeon earlier, uh, if it's new, it's not true. He right. says the old that's true. Look, look, mm -hmm. look, it's like you said in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 verse, Lecrae isn't positing something new here. This, this, no, it's nothing new. this didn't start with Derrida. No. brilliant exposition earlier Omaha this goes back to Genesis 3 with the serpent it's like I said That's earlier right. the serpent has handed off the uh, baton to Derrida and what Lecrae has done Lecrae has taken the baton from Derrida who took the, the baton from the serpent that's all that's happening here but see what's problematic about this is that to criticize the church on the basis of a subjective sociocultural epistemology, that is when Lecrae says, well, if you don't talk like this or you have to dress like this, as opposed to examining the church against an objective biblical construct by which the, the church is or is carrying out its divinely constituted mission, which is mm -hmm. namely, which is to preach the gospel and to make disciples of Christ, as Matthew 28. Yep. All right. To, to do that is simply to attempt to take the church away from its divine founder who is Christ, and to make it your own ecclesiastical possession. That's what Lecrae is doing. In his, in his uh, 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 commenting on how he is reconstructing his faith, he's deconstructing his faith and then reconstructing it, and by doing that, he's deconstructing the church and then reconstructing it. He is taking the church away from Christ and making it his own possession. That's what he's doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this is, Absolutely. This is mine. This is mine over yes. here, and until it looks like what I think it should look like, I'm going to de detach myself from it. Now, in fact, I would argue that the tendency of professing Christians and professing evangelical Christians in particular to make certain aspects of the church their own possession is what has led to denominationalism within the church and all the problems that go along with it. I got a big problem with de denominationalism. I got a big, but that's another, that's another topic for another episode. But at its core, <laughs> at its core, evangelical deconstructionism is merely an another form of postmodernism. You talked about this earlier in the episode, uh, yes. Omaha. Now consider that, consider my previous statement that evangelical deconstructionism is merely another form of postmodernism. Consider that as I quote from Dr. Lee, Dr. J. Ligon Duncan, I'm going to quote from Dr. J. Ligon Duncan, who at the 2008 Ligonier West Coast Conference said this, quote, 
There are many, many well-meaning Christians, including evangelical believers and church leaders, who think that in order to speak into a postmodern culture, the church must, to some extent, adapt itself to that postmodern culture, that we must embrace postmodernism, at least in some aspects, if we're going to be able to address postmodernism. And I want to suggest to you that that is a disastrous approach. One of the main features of postmodernism is a pre-commitment to relativism or pluralism in relation to all questions of truth, unquote. Lincoln Duncan nailed it. He nailed it there. And we quoted earlier in this episode sources that said the exact same thing, that, that fundamentally deconstructionism is relativism. And relativism leads to pluralism. That's exactly what, what Duncan is saying here. He says one of the main features of postmodernism is a pre-commitment, or what we might call a presupposition, to relativism or pluralism in relation to all questions of truth. And as we said earlier, that's what deconstructionism does. It just questions everything. It continues to ask questions and never, uh, with, with, with never having the, while never having the goal in mind of seeking truth. It's like that passage in, in uh, uh, one of the epistles where Paul says, I, I believe it's to Timothy, where he says they're always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. truth yes. Always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. The church has always been A, if not the, right? The church has always been A, if not the target of postmodernism. At, right. at the same aforementioned Ligonier Conference, the 2008 West Coast Conference that Ligonier held, Dr. R. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, said this, quote, The idea that truth is socially constructed is at the very heart of postmodernism, that truth claims are disguised claims to power, that claims to truth are actually exercises by the majority seeking to suppress the minority, and the empire seeking to oppress the colony, and the majority seeking to isolate, to subjugate, to oppress and that's why you come across all the jargon of postmodernism with its totalitarian claims of oppression, with its hegemonistic language. Michel Foucault, one of the most significant postmodern theorists, argued that, quote, all claims to truth are constructed in order to serve those in power, unquote. Then you understand why the great project of liberation will be deconstruction. If what is presented as truth is constructed in order to oppress people, then liberation comes in deconstructing those truth claims. If all truth is socially constructed, then all truth is necessarily relative to whoever is doing that constructing, unquote. So what Dr. Moeller is saying there is precisely what evangelical deconstructionists are guilty of. Lecrae, among others, is promoting culturally constructed truth in air quotes, culturally constructed truth that is rooted in personal experience and giving that truth credibility and validity as ecclesiastical neo-orthodoxy. That's exactly what Lecrae is doing. He is arguing what Dr. J. Lincoln Duncan and what Dr. R. Albert Moeller have said in the quotes that I just read to you. Lecrae, again, is guilty of living by all five points of evangelical deconstructionism. I mean, I would have, I would ask this question to, to Lecrae, and I would say this to our listeners as well. How in the world can you say, you, can you say, how are you going to say that you're going to deconstruct 
and then reconstruct your faith in God when you had absolutely nothing to do with coming to faith in Christ to begin with. This is what I meant earlier when I said you can't argue, as as Bannerman said, that the faith that we hold as our own is not a faith of our own. We need to understand that. How can you argue you're going to deconstruct a faith that you had absolutely nothing to do with in the first place? I mean, how arrogant is that? I mean, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is because God made you a follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you can't, you, you don't, the faith you possess is not a faith of your own making. You had nothing to do with it. Nothing. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because God made you a follower of Jesus Christ. You had absolutely nothing to do with that. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Mm-hmm. Conversely, as a Christian, you be, that you belong to God's church is only because God made you a part of his church by means of the faith that he gave you to believe in Christ to begin with. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Now, to help us remember that, I want to quote from the new book, Sorry, not a new book, but I do want to quote from the book titled Jesus According to the Scriptures, subtitled Restoring the Portrait from the Gospels. This is co-authored by Daryl L. Brock and Benjamin I. Simpson. In that book, Jesus According to the Scriptures, Dr. Brock and Dr. Simpson write this, quote, Jesus pursues relationships with sinners, not a separation from them. That's good. Yes. Jesus pursues relationships with sinners, not a separation from them. In seeking God's will, he pursues the display of God's mercy, not as a way of denying sin, but in a way that allows it to be profitable, profitably treated because it is sinners whom he seeks to cure. Man, that's powerful. To, uh-huh. Still quoting from the book, Jesus According to the Scripture. To come to the doctor is to realize that one has a disease that someone else must treat. One cannot heal oneself of the disease, but must come dependently with faith, with faith to the doctor. God in his mercy will treat those who turn to him. Jesus' relationships are designed to make this point. He is available to help those who turn to him. Reform of God's people is possible only in a context where mercy is sought and can be granted. Once again, Jesus' actions are designed both to teach those theological values and to display them in his actual practice, unquote. Again, that was from the book, Jesus According to the Scripture, Restoring the Portrait from the Gospel by Daryl Brock and Benjamin Simpson. Now, my point is that the church is both God's idea and God's possession. The church exists because God in Christ sought out wretched worms like you and me, Omaha, that we might serve and glorify him, not serve and glorify ourselves. Ourselves. Dr. Michael Horton. Dr. Michael Horton expands on that truth in his book titled Pilgrim Theology, subtitled Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples, where he writes this, quote, 
The church is neither a central agency with branch offices nor a group of individuals who decide to follow Jesus and therefore decide to start a church. Rather, it is a supernatural and eschatological reality that descends from heaven in the power of the Spirit through the means of grace. On one hand, we cannot be born naturally into the kingdom, nor, on the other hand, is our new birth the result of human decision and effort. It is the gift of God from heaven. Just as each believer's salvation finds its origin in God's sovereign grace, so too the church collectively is the result of God's gracious plan, not ours. It is not simply a voluntary association that exists as the result of people's choosing the same preferences, unquote. That was Dr. Michael Horton from his book, Pilgrim Theology, Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples. Now I say that, especially that quote from Dr. Horton, I say that Omaha because it's about time some of us got off our high horses. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm exhorting us to consider that in light of Romans chapter two, verse one, which says this, therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things. Yes, yes. Conversely, right along with Romans chapter two, verse one, consider this passage in first Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, and all, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, Lecrae, but many if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the, this is exactly what Lecrae is arguing. Yes, yes. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, Lecrae, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, Where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Not as you desire, Lecrae. Not as I desire, Daryl. Not as you desire, Virgil. God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Or on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body. That's verse 25. 
Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 12, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Listen, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is his church and it is he and he alone who builds it and who sustains it. The only question that remains is this. Who are you going to serve, Christian? The Christ or the culture? That's the only question left to answer. Omaha, what you got? I, I mean, I'm I'm at a loss for words. That that was that was the case completely made. I mean that 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 section was the entire case. What you did in that section is you you ex- we've been examining the words of men like Lecrae. We think about where we've been. We started out explaining the problem of culture, how we've we've been susceptible to every wind of doctrine. Right. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with a, a lack of expository preaching, a lack of biblical fidelity, a lack of biblical sufficiency. We then unpacked and defined deconstructionism and, and what it actually is and, 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 and utilized the, their own thought leaders to provide those definitions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what mm-hmm. what Daryl, what you think or what I thought or we, we used their own words, their own terminologies to explain what they mean by deconstructionism. You unpack Derrida and, and, and his and his beginnings. And then we, we went and looked at scripture to examine how how does how do these ideas apply when we examine scripture. And then we looked at the words of Lecrae. Mm-hmm. And you unpacked those. And in this last section, what you did was you you basically took Lecrae's words, ideas, thoughts, and just stir fried them. I mean just absolutely cooked them. Uh, in, in, in the backdrop of what scripture has to say about all these things. And it, what begins to happen is those words look even more, we use the word ridiculous, even mm-hmm. look more ridiculous in light of the backdrop. And, and, and again, a, 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 proper words to explain this actually fail me. Because when, when you examine what scripture has to say about all of these things, and, and, then, and then theologians who understand the text of scripture, what he's calling for makes no sense. Right. It, it, it absolutely it, it absolutely makes what we're talking about has a has not, not only has nothing to do with the church. It is not the church. Amen, it, it, it's not the church. Amen. And, and I, I, I as, as I was listening to you, man, I was reflecting on um, we're, we're recording this on, on, on the Lord's Day. Yeah. Uh, March 13th, uh, 2022. Um, you, you, you've enjoyed, you know, your time there. I'm enjoying my time here at service, uh, with, with my pastor, with, with what we, we're, we're actually walking through, um, the book of Luke, Luke's gospel. Uh, we're in chapter five and, and I, and I guarantee you that we'll, we'll be in that gospel for probably the next three years. Right. Uh, why? Because my pastor desires to go verse by verse by verse and unpack these truths. But as I think about the beauty of what I got a chance to experience today, I was listening to you as you were talking about the oneness of the church, mm-hmm. whose church it actually is, and the mm-hmm. fact that we're a part of the body of Christ. And and I think about what, what I just had the opportunity to experience today is I came into our local church uh, as, as the call to worship unfolded, 
as we opened up, uh, as we sang uh, songs, as we uh, read the scriptures, as we engaged in prayer, as we as we corporately repented of our sin and individually repented of that sin. And then we're reminded of the gospel's impact on our lives. And then to, to hear the word continuing worship through the, through the preached word of God as, as, as pastor unpacked the, the text. And, and then, then as we, as the, as the, as that event began to close, uh, we, we began to, to, to experience the Lord's table. And, and what was said as we, as we engaged in, uh, in, in communion at the Lord's table and the beauty of that, uh, as we understood and were reminded of, of the body of Christ broken on, on our behalf, uh, broken, uh, the, 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 the price that he paid, uh, as we who were separated from Christ were, were brought to God the Father, as we who mm-hmm. were separated from God the Father were brought, brought to God the Father, reconciled mm-hmm. to him through, through the work of Christ. And we were reminded of that in communion. And, and then we were reminded of, 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 of what the, the blood of Christ did. Uh, and, and, and the propitiation that it made for our, on, on our behalf to God the Father for sins, not that he committed, that, but that we committed. Mm-hmm. Our, our, mm-hmm. our separateness from, from, from God, mm-hmm. now we've been brought near to God as a result of the finished work of Christ. And now mm-hmm. we who sat in, that, in that, that church setting were all a part of the family of God. We were one body. We were, we were it, it says in Ephesians 2, we, we were, we were that, 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 that God made through, let me, in fact, let me just read it. Ephesians yeah. 2, 14, it says, for he himself, he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his body the dividing wall of hostility mm-hmm. by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. So mm-hmm. as I sat there with the body of believers at our local church, in our local setting, what I recognize is that I'm united with every believer right. in Christ, Yeah. right? It, not only not only locally, but but every believer who on this Lord's day uh, have united themselves to Christ by repenting of sin and placing their full faith in Christ. We're united, and what's irrelevant what's irrelevant to all that is our ethnicity, the color right. of our skin. Right. What's irrelevant to that unity is our backgrounds. What's what's irrelevant to that unity is our socioeconomic condition. Right. What's what's irrelevant to that unity is is our personal experiences or our family structures. Not even our geographical location divides us. Right. We are actually united in the one body through Jesus Christ and and that's what we're called to. Now you have on the other hand those who are calling for separation from 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 people that they deem as too white or, or too Americanized or, right. or, too ch- or too churchy. What, what, what kind of nonsense is that? Right. What kind of division yeah. does that represent? Yeah. Th- th- that's the absolute opposite of the beauty that you and I got the opportunity to experience today as we united ourselves to the body of Christ there in, in our local church settings. That's, that's all I've got, man. That was brilliantly put, uh, Verge. And, you know, again, uh, you, you look at this whole idea of deconstruction within the church and it's just, you just have to shake your head. 
You have to shake your head, man. It's absolutely crazy. You have to shake. I, I love that you took us through Ephesians 2. And I've got my Bible here, man, because that's what we do. We turn pages. That's right, so, man. That's so right. I was turning right with you, bro. And I, I, again, Ephesians 2.14 says, For he, that is Christ, he himself is our peace, mm-hmm. who made both groups into one. Now, let, yes. me, let me stop right there. Made is past tense. That's a past tense verb phrase. Yes, yes. Who made, who made both groups into one. Made, done, done deal. What are we trying to do though, Verge? Because we don't believe that. Right, right, right. We don't believe that Christ's salvific work accomplished that oneness. Mm-hmm. Here we are again, we trying to, to do what Christ either didn't do or what Christ left incomplete. Right. So I need to finish this off. I got to help out God. Yes. Yes. I, I got to help Christ. Christ, Christ didn't do enough. He didn't do enough. So not only is the gospel not enough, Christ right. is not enough. No. I got to help the savior of the world out. Mm-hmm. One way to help God out Deconstruction. Because this oneness that Ephesians 2 is talking about, that's just spiritual oneness. Right. I can't settle for spiritual oneness. I can't settle for that. I got to have what I want. I got the church right. has to serve me and my needs. Yes. The church has about. to serve my felt needs. The church has to acquiesce to my concept of what its mission is and how it should carry out that mission. Ephesians 2.14, nah, I can't buy wholly into that because it doesn't give me what I want. Past tense, bro. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. Now, if you're still trying to, if you're still uh, a professing Christian who's applying a hermeneutic of suspicion, (laughs) that's that's your problem. Jesus Christ has accomplished already. Yes. What you cannot, what you refuse to accept as his completed work within the body of his people. Yes. You got the problem. You, I don't care what your name is, insert name here. You're the one with the problem. Mm -hmm. Christ has already accomplished that. He has made both groups into one and broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. And see, deconstructionism, another way to put that is that deconstructionism rebuilds that wall that Christ already broke down. I, I got a question. I, I got a question. I'm going to insert this here and I'm going to let you get back because I know you got a number of things we, we, we're going to continue to walk through as we as we get we, we get closer to a close. But when I as you said that, I immediately turned to Revelation seven because you said he he's already accomplished it. And so right, I look at the sense. accomplishment past tense. I look at the accomplishment of Revelation seven, nine, which reads after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Here's my question. What are these deconstructionists going to do 
once they get to heaven? Where where where, where are they going to go? Where's this all blacktopia setting, bro? Where they're going to be able to do what they want to do uh, apart from whiteness or any other uh, ethnic category that they feel has subjugated their ancestry in the past. What are they going to do? Because the way my Bible reads, we're all one together enjoying the diversity that, that God, that God instituted from the beginning that he's already accomplished through the finished work of Christ. What what are they going to do? Well, bro, I got a, I got a prefatory question before that one. Yeah. So when they get to heaven, what are they going to do? My my preparatory question is, how are they going to get to heaven? Right. In in the first place, how are you going to get there? Right. You don't get there. You don't get you to heaven. Right. That's good. You don't get you to heaven. So the fact that you're going to try to take credit for this diverse gathering before the throne, you can't even take credit for that. Because you don't get you there to participate anyway. in that anyway. Right. Anywho. <laughs> you know, at this point, Omaha, and we're about to wrap up. I, but, but, but before we wrap up, I have to ask again, why is it that evangelical Christians seem to always want to Christianize everything that the world promotes? Yes. Everything. Yes. Everything. I mean, when will we finally get it through our collective thick heads that the world and the church are two distinct and diametrically opposed organisms that should never have anything to do with one another because they have nothing in common with each other? When are we going to get that through our collective thick skulls? Right. And, And one of the pitfalls of evangelicals who try to Christianize worldly fads and trends is that it results in them placing a yoke of extra biblical and even unbiblical moralism around the necks of those in the church who don't happen to measure up to their subjective pietistic sense of social cultural religiosity as if they were God and as if the church belonged to them. They're the new Jerusalem council of Acts 5. Right. They're the New Jerusalem Council in, in the book of Acts. Well, see, I want to go to several scriptures now to remind those people that that's not the case. And it's never been the case. It's never been the case that the church belongs to you. It's never been the case that the church is accountable to you. Never. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, I just read this, and all members do not have the same functions, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of of the of one another. 2 Corinthians 5:16. Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Sorry, the evangelical deconstructionists absolutely does that. They absolutely they're not going to come out and say that, but that's exactly what they're guilty of. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Mm. Not Daryl, not Virgil. I haven't built a single I haven't applied one single pebble to the building to the building of Christ's church. Mm-hmm. That's all been Christ himself. Hebrews 10 verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's against that's totally contra de- de- deconstruction. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, let me pause there before I read the next two verses. I may not, I'm not going to be faithful. Right. I'm not going to be. So don't look at me. Don't look at Daryl as the example, the standard of how Christ's church uh, should, should look and function. Don't look at me. I am a redeemed sinner, yes, but I am a sinner nonetheless. nonetheless yes. I remember reading something that Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said one day he committed to the Lord that he wasn't going to sin again. He said he had sinned before he ate breakfast. <laughs> yep. I'm a I'm a I'm a three course meal sinner. I send <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh huh. I even send dessert. Okay, so if you want to call them, I'm a four course center. I send during breakfast, I send during lunch, I send during dinner, I send at dessert. Don't look to me. This is Lecrae's problem. This is other. Uh, this is the problem of other evangelical deconstructionists like him. They're looking to other people as the standard. Uh-huh. They're looking to other Christians as the standard. There is a standard for Christians, but the standard is Christ. What did Paul say? Right. Paul said Paul didn't just say follow me. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So even Paul, in that admonition to follow him, he ultimately is pointing to Christ as the example, as our example. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, wavering because for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some parenthetically deconstructionist, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, having shared those passages of scripture in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 3, 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 12, I want to sum up all that by quoting from, again, the French reformer, John Calvin, who in his Institutes of the Christian Religion and the chapter titled The Power of the Church said this, quote, we being satisfied with the perfection of Christ's teaching should learn not to invent anything new or to accept anything devised by man. Accordingly, it was right that the father who as an extraordinary privilege sent us his son should appoint him to be our teacher and instructor, commanding us to listen to him and not to any man. God indeed commended his teaching to us with the briefest words saying, hear him as Matthew 17, five. Yet in these few words, there is greater force and significance that may than, than may appear for it is the same as saying that having called us away and withdrawn us from all human teaching, he has left us with none but his son and has commanded us to receive from him all truth concerning salvation to rely on him alone and to cling solely to him in short that's sola Christus, by the way in short as the word implies to obey only him frankly what more might we expect or wish from men since the word of life himself has dwelt intimately with us in the flesh unless someone perhaps hoped that God's wisdom could be surpassed by man? That's a rhetorical question that Calvin is posing there. Some, someone perhaps hoped that God's wisdom could be surpassed by man. See, that's those people who say the gospel isn't enough. You got to preach mm-hmm. gospel plus. 
Yes, yes. Continuing with Calvin, he says, rather, every human mouth must be stopped. Now that he in whom the Father has been pleased to hide all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom has spoken, and spoken in a way befitting both God's unfailing wisdom and his Messiah, who, has re- who, who was to reveal all things. What I mean is that Christ has spoken so as to leave, it, so as to leave nothing else for others to say. Unquote. That was Calvin. That was John Calvin from his institute. Christ has spoken so as to leave nothing else for others to say. Now, I'm going to close here by teeing off from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and then I have some closing comments. James 2, verses 1 through 9. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Now I could stop right there and, and, and we could hear a pin drop for the silence that will come from the conviction and guilt that we all ought to feel. Yes. This is exactly what we're ta- we've been talking about in this episode. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Yes. But you have dishonored the poor man or in evangelical deconstructionism, you have dishonored the white man. Let's just keep it real. You have dishonored anyone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't talk like you, who doesn't fit into your own cultural mold. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now that, that my brothers and sisters is the standard by which we are to regard one another against Christ's standard of fellowship and mutual consideration, not by any man's standard or expectation or benchmark. Evangelical deconstructionism is a worldly, ungodly, demonic ideology that divides the body of Christ and turns us against one another for the sake of creating a church that reflects the glory, the glory of man rather than the glory of God. What the evangelical deconstructionist is doing is not deconstructing his or her faith. What they're actually doing is deconstructing and reconstructing what they have faith in. That's good. That's good right there. I'm going to repeat that. You need to. The evangelical deconstructionist is not deconstructing his or her faith. They're deconstructing and then reconstructing what they have faith in. Mm -hmm. You see, the faith of the truly regenerate believer is not in, quote, Christianity, unquote. Their faith is in Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? The faith of the truly regenerate believer is not in Christianity, but in Jesus Christ. To assert that you're deconstructing your faith is to essentially confess to having faith in, quote, Christianity, unquote. In other words, you're, you're confessing to having faith in a religion. Yes. In, in which case, 
that religion can be defined as anything you want it to be. Mm-hmm. It can be cultural Christianity, political Christianity, social Christianity, Christian nationalism, etc. So what you're doing is deconstructing and reconstructing the kind of religion you already have faith in to begin with. That's what you're doing. But when your faith is solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the idea of deconstructing that faith is rendered completely moot and becomes an entirely nonsensical idea because you realize that your faith is a gift from God himself and that that faith is in the God who cannot, does not, and will not change. Therefore, your faith, if it is genuine, cannot, does not, and will not change. Unlike the Apostle Peter, and I'm going to close with this. Unlike the Apostle Peter, who in John 6, 68, asked rhetorically of Jesus, to whom shall we go? The evangelical deconstructionist asked this question, to what shall we go? You see, because to the deconstructionist, the issue is always what, not who. Close this out, Omaha. Oh, my gosh. Great episode fantastic episode i mean there's not much more to say than than the final kind of layout that you just provided for what we just walked through um the 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 evangelical deconstructionist is actually revealing what they have faith in and and it is not christ uh it, it is it is not a desire to be united with christ with his church um, as you were talking, I was thinking about what if what if Christ engaged in deconstruction, right? What 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 hope would what hope would 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 evangelical deconstructionists have if if Christ engaged in that kind of deconstruction? Right. Uh, they they would be without hope. Right. They would absolutely they would absolutely be without hope, and 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 their situation is hopeless, apart from repenting of this idea ideology of deconstructionism and placing their full faith and trust in the finished and sufficient work of Jesus Christ. And finished Christ. and sufficient, finished Absolutely. and sufficient. Absolutely. You nailed Absolutely. it, bro. It's, it's, it's sufficient. It's sufficient to save. Uh, it's sufficient to reconcile uh, both to God and to man. It is indeed sufficient. There's, there's nothing else left to say, man. I, I'm glad we did the episode. I'm glad we had the opportunity to, to walk through this. I'm hopeful uh, that that this installment will be incredibly helpful to the body of Christ as they take time. We've we've walked through a, a little over three hours, man, of content here, and uh, that's what I'm we do, that- man. And interestingly, I think that's what our listeners expect of us, bro. They expect to yeah. t- us to take our time and walk through these issues. So, however much time it takes, that's what we, that's what we do. Absolutely. Well, listen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. Hey, Just Thinking family, this is by way of reminder. I want you to be aware that on September 15th through the 17th, you can join Daryl and me and a host of other incredible speakers at the Museum of the Bible there in Washington, D.C. for the Just Thinking About the Bible Conference. This is going to be an amazing time where we're going to gather in a very unique space and place to really examine biblical sufficiency. We have incredible guests like Dr. Stephen Lawson. We have Dr. James White joining. 
joining us. We have Dr. Josh Bice. Daryl will be there. I will be there. We'll probably add some other speakers as well. You guys will not want to miss this opportunity to join us at the Museum of the Bible, September 15th through the 17th for the Just Thinking About the Bible Conference. Go to g3men.org. That is g3men.org. Dot O-R-G.